What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 81st episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today I'm stoked to be joined once again, returning champ Rand Althor 19 of the infamous, the majestic Xbox 2 podcast. Rand, how are you doing on this fine Saturday, my pal? Miles! It's good to be back with you here, mm, mm, my mm, buddy, mm. my pal. Ooh. You know, we we always have deep, we always have really good shows when we're together. You know, the the energy just flows the back and forth, right? So, I, I'm happy to be here with you, with you to talk about all the amazing things that you know you, you kind of dug together for all these these topics. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about coming up with the stuff or the flow. I just speak, so that's good for me. I see you got my nice picture next to my Pokemon's. Yes, uh, Pokey Rand always on display. You know, I know yeah. Pokemon is a franchise that's near and dear to your heart, and I just want to make sure that's embodied every time you come on this show. So, you know, I made a nice custom little character for Rand. I made a nice, beautiful backdrop for Rand, and it just it really comes together. And I always love having you on because, like you said, we have some fun. We have some good conversations. We can dive into some some juicy topics. And we can mm-hmm. really uh, get into it. And there's a lot to get into today. As I was writing my show notes for this week's show, I think they're about 1,300 words long. It's, it's, what? there's been what? a lot. There's been a lot happening this week. And we're going to be. At least you do stuff for your show. You know, Jez always shows up literally five minutes before the show starts. He's like, I'm here, I'm ready. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Okay. You That's, know, like, you know, what a I do everything, you know. Last time I was, we did a show last week with Jez. He comes on like right like a minute before we go live. He's like, "Hold on, I'm gonna eat some spaghetti." I'm like, "What? Mm. We're, yeah, we're going so, live in one minute. You're gonna eat spaghetti now? What is we, going on?" So we started a Patreon, right? And you know, there's people, there's tiers where pay, people's names can be across the screen, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, I was like, "Hey, we we you shouldn't wait to the last minute to do, like give me those names the day before so I can put them in the text ticker, you know, to make it look good, right?" Nope, nope, nope. Two minutes before the show is supposed to start, Jess comes in here and he's like, here's all the names, put them in there. And I'm like, uh, like, what? Like, why didn't you do the, give this to me before? Like, we're, we're about to go live. We are live. <laughs> he's just like, sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Sorry, Mike. Like, yeah, uh, like, oh, this is the slam on Jez episode of Xbox Chatterdays. But no, obviously we love Jez. Obviously we love Jez. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for you because you get to kick back. I'm going to spearhead things. You get to just talk, you know, which, yeah. which is what you do best, right? <laughs> are we, we going to talk about Nintendo? Are we going to talk yes, about Mario? I, of course. Of course. Yes. So Mario. we're going to be diving into a bunch today. We're going to be diving into the latest approvals regarding the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. We're going to be talking about the 1.0 launch of Grounded. It's kind of resurgence. It's success. We're going to be talking about Mario Voicegate. We're going to be talking about the upcoming CD Projekt Red roadmap, a string of Overwatch 2 controversies, Dead Space 2 gameplay, and so much more. Whoa, but, whoa, Dead Space 2 gameplay? Oh, sorry. What? We're jumping into the future. Overwatch 2, <laughs> Dead Space 1 remake gameplay, you know. I mean, hey, I'll take a Dead Space 2 remake. I love that game. Same, same. Dead Space 2 is my favorite of the trilogy, so let's go. If Dead Space 1 does well, hopefully we'll see that next. But first, Rand, for the folks who maybe don't know, let everyone Mm. here know who you are and where they can find you. Yeah, well, you know, I am Randall 
toxic, as Miles likes to say. <laughs> the toxic Randall, Avenger. Randall hater. Nah, I'm Randall Thor 19. Man with the million. And uh, yeah, you can find me over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash randallthor19. Links are all there for the Twitter stuff. And uh, me and Jez do podcasts every Friday called the Xbox 2. And uh, sometimes I release videos during the week, depending on what's going on. So, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun show. So make sure you hit the like button for Miles. And uh, sit back, relax, get your favorite beverage ready to roll. Yeah. And it's, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have some fun. So as Rand said, I know there's a lot of amazing people in the chat. I see a lot of returning faces. Hargi Chani, Ham Solo, Sleepy Goblin, a lot of amazing folks. If you are digging the show live, hit that like button, share it out. Let's see how big we can get this party popping. And if you're listening to the audio versions of the show, if you're digging it, take a second and leave us a review because that helps, you know, get it out to more folks. Some quick housekeeping. If you are watching live, you might have noticed that in the last couple of weeks, we have shifted the time of Xbox Chatterdays. And now, Xbox Chatterdays is going live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Your boy moved back to Washington State. And so now that I, you know, I'm pushed back an hour, I had to move the show forward an hour. So I'm not getting up super early on a Saturday. Because, you know, 8 a.m. is early enough to get up on a Saturday for me. So I'm going to keep it there. So... If you are watching live, that is a quick update on the time. Rand, let's start. Yeah. Let's start by talking with talking about Grounded, which okay, it's hit 1.0. It's been in. It was in early access for roughly two years. This is a a small passion project from a team at Obsidian, and this was their take on a open world sandbox style survival game. And if you're unfamiliar unfamiliar with the concept, we have some gameplay playing on the screen here. But the elevator pitch for this is, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids meets Ark. So if you've played any survival games like Minecraft, Ark, you know the drill, you need to find resources to survive, you need to craft, you need to go and get out further and further from your home base in order to get more resources. And this concept, as soon as I saw the revealed trailer for this concept, I was hooked on the idea because it kind of shocked me that we hadn't had a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style video game up until this point. It took decades and decades in video games history before we got this concept, and it just translates so beautifully to a survival game. I've been digging it, a lot of folks have been digging it, and a lot of folks have kind of waited until the 1.0 version to check it out. So, a couple of questions for you, Rand. Did you play okay. much in early access, first off? Um, no, I did not. I, I didn't really even play it at all. I think I maybe jumped in Colt's game for 10 minutes and then jumped out. Oh! So... Yeah. So, so my wife and I, this is a game that we play together. She's not a huge gamer, but there's a couple games that she loves. And it's funny because she tends to gravitate towards really hardcore games. So Ooh. State of Decay 2, I think she has a thousand hours in State of Decay 2. That, that is very hardcore. <laughs> and she plays on the hardest difficulties. She's, like, she's, she's gone through and done everything. So she's playing on lethal. Difficulty modes, I don't even play on. Like my squad and I haven't done that difficulty because it's, it's too extreme. So she does that and then grounded. We've every major update in early access, we would go through and kind of redo everything because that's the flow you go through. And there's been little tiny nuggets of story in early access and little slowly they've been trickling out the labs and the dungeons and the boss fights but we've been going through and playing that and now it's in 1.0 and the full story quote unquote at least the first part of the story is out and people are experiencing it so rand i've seen some pictures i've seen some tweets mm. and i know you've mm. been you've been going hard on grounded so how are you feeling about the current state of this game now that it's in 1.0 
Yeah, so I decided to play the game with Cold Eastwood, who has like 400 some odd hours in the game. He's been playing it with his kids. He loves it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I need a chauffeur because Miles... Take my hand. I am not a survival guy, okay? I don't really care for those type of games. Um, so to me, I was kind of like grounded. The original trailer in 2019... I was already kind of down on it. I was like, whoa. <sighs> I know a lot of people were. A lot of people you know? were down on the art style. Is that where you yeah, were Yeah, I was like, are we really need something like this? Right? Too kitty, quote unquote? Is that- yeah. So I was just like, already like, oh, survival and the way it looked. I was like, nah, I, I whatever. Can, it, I'm not going to play this. But I gave most games a chance. So started playing it with Colt because Colt had all the experience. It's like, okay, well, I'll play with somebody in co-op and see how it goes. And I gotta say, forty hours later, I'm having a blast, bro. Ooh, you're forty hours it's, it's, in already. Forty hours in. Okay. Uh, it's it's really good, and the thing I like about it is, I mean, there's a bunch of things I like about it. Uh, the world, for one, I I, I honestly really like the honey that sh- I shrunk the kids like aspect is incredibly cool. Yes. Way cooler than I ever thought it could be because you you're you're around this like yard that could be your own and there's just something about like like the grasping like tree size and these like spiders and everything attacking you or you just see like every everyday normal objects like completely blown up like it gives off this like really charming magical feeling uh when you go around and you explore all these different new areas uh like maybe experience I've never had before in a game. But I really enjoyed that, as- that aspect. I also like how it's also terrifying. Like it's got this wonder about it because you're so small and everything's so big, but then at the same time, everything wants to kill you because they're, because they're bugs, you know? So you got the spiders, you got the, you got the mites, you got the, like the mosquitoes, like everything that, you know, you're just like, stomp on in your normal reg- regular life you just you're just like you know they're all can get you and they all could kill you and i enjoyed the progression um you know i was like okay we go out we get some stuff we build some things and it's kind of small at first but the more you play it's like oh well i have level one armor but now i got level two or i had level one axe but now i got level two axe and the wolf spider was was destroying me before now i'm destroying the wolf spider Right, I, so I enjoyed that aspect of the progression, but I gotta say that even the reason I'm even playing it at all, honestly, is because I know there's an end. Right, it's not a game that goes on forever. Like there's a story, and there's an endpoint, and then the game's over. So to me, that immediately was like, all right, it, this isn't like something where I'm just gonna just where you know all people like in Minecraft they'll be like they just do whatever make up their own objectives or do mm-hmm. their own things that's not Randall Thor 19 miles <laughs> that's never been Randall Thor 19 you don't like to make your own fun rand is that what it's you're saying it's not that i don't like to make my own fun it's just like i i, I like to have uh, something i am working towards and beating the game is for me is that something in this so you know, I'm not in here to build stuff. You know, Colt's been calling me out on Twitter because my base is pathetic. You know, it's four walls on the dirt ground, no roof. You know, like just, it's just you're out there slumming str- it, dude. Just straight so, up. Well, slumming this is the it. thing. It's like I don't like I'm not somebody who's gonna be playing this game forever. Like I'm beating the game and then I'm out. Peace. 
deleted off my hard drive. You know what I mean? So like, I don't want to spend all this time to build this, which you can, you can build like huge houses and uh, like all this cool stuff. But to me, it's like, why? It's just a waste of time because as soon as the game's over, I'm done. Right. But I, I know, like for that other it, people it panders to, or I guess caters to more play styles. Like you said, you want the story. You want that main story. Folks like me who have played Ark, who have played Minecraft, who have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in survival games and love that loop of just building the base, having your your massive castle, which is something my wife and I did. We built we got the buoyant foundation, buoyant foundation, and we built a base on top of the pond and we built a giant three story mushroom castle on the pond and stuff like that. Again, you don't need to do it. It doesn't help you progress in the story. But having those options for survival folks is really great. But there is this really compelling story underneath it all. And you're trying to figure out the mystery of why is everyone small? What is, what is the, the concept of this world? Why are the kids small? Why is there this scientist character who shrunk himself down? What is going on here? They've introduced, there's an opening cutscene. There are now cutscenes throughout that. So you get tangible story beats now. It's not only just text dialogue and audio dialogue that moves the story along. There are plenty of pieces of that, but there is actual story segments to it. And the story segments are really impressive and a lot cooler than I thought I thought they would be. So I really like that there is that story for the folks who want it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I want. Like I, I didn't want an open ending game that I could do whatever, because that's just not me. I mean, that may maybe for you and your wife and Colt and his kids, I just want to be like, yeah, because Colt was like, all right, let's build your house. And I'm like, do we have to? Like, do we have to build a house? Like, we, we're just wasting time. Like, let's just go and just do the things we need to do. Like, why are we wasting time building all this stuff? Because, it, it, like I said, once the game's over, I'm never playing it again. He's like, come on, you need to have a cool base. And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, all right, let's, let's put up some walls. Let's build some chests. Like you come into my my house, it's basically like there's stuff strewn all over the floor. You're jumping over chests <laughs> to get to the other things you need to do. You know, like it's just because that's you don't need anything else. You know, it's it's, it's so. But either way, my expectations were basically nothing for this game, and it has so far exceeded them. Where like every night I'm sending texts to coping, like Can we play grounded. Yeah. Like, can, yes. can we, can we jump into grounded. And it's, it's, I, I, so that's the other thing the co op, right? You know, you can play it up to four people. And I know I look, I get on, and I see Miles is always with this crew. So it's like, all right, Miles is playing ground with this crew. Uh, this is also, this isn't a game that I would play by myself at all. Like, if it didn't have co op, I, I, maybe I would have loaded it up for a couple minutes, but I would have stopped. But playing it with co op, uh, really, elevates the game in my opinion mm -hmm. and is one of the core reasons why I'm even playing the game and going to finish the game. Cause me and Cold are just having a blast every single night. You know, it's so I love hearing that because I had some buddies as well. I'm, the, I'm the, the token survival guy. Every time a survival game comes out, I'm like, all right guys, let's gear up and play. And most of the time, my, my core group of buddies that you see me online every night with, They'll play for a couple days and then they're like, okay, I'm done. Uh, let's, let's move on. But with like, you said, are sick of you. They're like, oh, geez, miles. Wants another to play survival <laughs> game. Oh my God, dude. Okay. Let's check it out. Let's humor miles. Cause he won't shut up about this, but grounded. Like you said, now they're the ones hitting me up saying, what's up? 
Where, yeah, are we going? Up, are we going to this what's... place tonight? Are we going to go check out this area of the map? And Grounded has become one of my favorite video game worlds ever. And again, like you mm. said, it's a very simple concept. It's just a backyard. But the scale of everything, the attention to detail, all of these familiar objects and how they're transformed in the world, even the subtle details of when you're crafting and you need resource pieces, those resource pieces are carefully integrated into the design. So if you need a clover leaf and an acorn shell to build a chest, for example, you will see that. And if you need weed stems and acorn to build a staircase, you will see all of those individual pieces represented obviously in the design of it. And I I love that. There's so much detail, so much care to this world. And like you said, there's never been anything like it. It's just unlike anything else, even though it is one of the most benign concepts ever. If you had, if you were a full-size person and this video game was in someone's backyard, you it, it would not be this interesting. But again, if you're watching the live stream here, we have pictures of you just traversing across leaves and blades of grass. And there's so much evocative imagery when you're in the distance and you see a spider trudging mm. through the grass and you see the grass tremble and move yep like you said that's horrifying when you when you see yeah. that for the very first time when you encounter a wolf spider oh my god dude that is straight horror this is becomes and it's, a, and it's instantly, hissing at you yeah it's mm. hissing at you it's glowing red eyes if you're in the dark if you're not prepared <coughs> you get bit now you have a poison debuff and you're just trying to desperately survive there's so many amazing elements of it and so again i think this is a very important IP for Xbox. And this, again, this this is one of the IP that has me very excited about the future of Xbox Game Studios because it shows they're willing to take creative risks and they're willing to do things that haven't been done before. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of our favorite games of all time are our favorite games because they've done something we've never experienced before. And we have those memories that will stick with us forever. And I think Grounded is absolutely the embodiment of that yeah how uh so how f have you traversed to the upper yard yet uh because we maxed out our, our science so like we have like all the recipes level 15 we have that um that termite sword that has lifesteal i don't know if you've got have you have you gotten the termite sword with lifesteal yet I've, I have the mosquito rapier with lifesteal, mm. but I don't have the termite sword. Oh, bro. It's so great. Like, we fought a Black Widow uh, la the other night, and the, whew, he, he, but like with lifesteal and then using the, uh, you know, healing stuff, like, we were able to beat him, even though, like, he had the largest, like, health bar in the world. So you get hit a couple times, and you just you just use your little sword and get your health back. It's great. I love life steal oh. on a, on, a, on a weapon. Oh yeah. It's... Oh absolutely. It's it's an essential. And so yeah, I've been letting my friends figure out the puzzles because I've done like in early access, I've done a lot of the areas already, but I didn't want to take the experience for them. So we've been going at a slower pace, and I've been letting them kind of explore and and pick and choose where we go. Because yeah, I could just blast through and get get us up to the upper hedge, um, but you know, taking our time, letting them explore a little bit. And um, I'm excited to get to some of the areas I haven't seen because in 1.0, it does bring a lot of areas that were not in early access in any way. So those are the areas I'm waiting to get to. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm getting antsy because we've done a lot of the stuff I've already done. And I'm like, all mm -hmm. right, what, well, let's go. What do we, what if we go off in this direction and, and see something new? Um, so I'm ready. I haven't been to the upper hedge yet. I wanted to go check out the weird Uzi goblin castle that they put yeah. up there. I want to check out some of that. 
I want to fight a Black Widow. Haven't fought that. Haven't fought some of the other bosses like the Praying Mantis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. I'm ready, Rand. I'm ready to Did go. You fight the Brood Mother. Uh, I have seen the Brood Mother. We haven't fought it yet. Um, so that's going to be maybe this weekend a challenge. We're, we're geared up. We're ready because we have a lot of level three armor and gear. But enough of the the nitty gritty. I guess the the moral of this story is. Grounded is a very important game. It's a very important IP for Xbox. And it's so important that it is getting its upcoming media adaptation. A little television adaptation. So, based on what you've played of Grounded, are you more excited about the possibility of a Grounded show than you would have been? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more interested in a, in a Grounded TV show. Gotta see what it looks like first, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm before I've been like, I don't care. But now I'm kind of like, okay, you have my yeah. attention. Yeah, because you know? the, the world's fun. The characters are fun. The, this concept is silly yet interesting. It's got some darker elements to it. When you, when you get little bits of the cutscene, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but there are sprinkles of something very nefarious in this world that Ooh. are very sinister and that ends with the bright vivid colors and goofy characters so i really like that dynamic of of the bright fun silliness but with that kind of classic obsidian layer if you will because obsidian is really good at giving you humor giving you a compelling story and then sprinkling in some interesting dynamics so if obsidian is directly involved with the with the project i would be interested to see how that translates to to a show because i would if it's of this art style, if it's a similar art style, I would definitely watch a Grounded show. And speaking of other big film and television adaptations, Rand, the world was forever changed this week. There was a moment that happened this week that defined our entire generation. <laughs> and we got the debut trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Starring the tamer of raptors, the guardian of the galaxy, the builder of bricks, the eater of lasagna, Chris Pratt. Mm. And going into this trailer, as you've seen, if you've been on the internet in any capacity, everyone was ready to destroy Chris Pratt's interpretation of Mario. Everyone had their expectations. A lot of us were in the camp that he would do no accent whatsoever. It would just be Chris Pratt as Mario. But this week, we were treated to the the first trailer for this movie, and we got to hear some pieces of Chris Pratt's Mario, the new voice of Mario. Um, And with comments like, my voice is unlike anything you've heard in in the Mario universe, (laughs) a lot of people were like, what on earth is this? What does that mean? What is this going to sound like? And we heard it. And we heard it. I'm sure you've heard it, Rand. So I got to know. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the voice of Mario? I, I love how this discussion about this movie is strictly, mostly, almost all exclusively about Chris Pratt as Mario, right? Uh-huh. No, Nobody's really talking about how the movie looks, which I thought it looked incredible, right? The animation. Oh, oh my God. I was you know, blown like, away. I was, I was like, floored by the visuals. Looks- this looks really good, especially oh. in comparison to the live-action Mario movie, you know? Oh, don't throw shade in... on John Leguizamo, boy. John Leguizamo, Bob Hoskins, Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper. That cast was mm. stacked. Absolutely yeah. stacked. 
the Koopas with the tiny little heads, but the, the red, the red Yoshi, jackets. who was a straight up raptor. Come on, dude. I mean, ah, we had some good stuff back in the nineties, right? Some good stuff. Can you imagine if Twitter existed? Oh, when my that God. movie came out. Oh, I, bro, it's we missed. Dude, out. did they even play the games? What yeah. is? <laughs> they didn't even. They didn't even play the game, man. Like how? Would it... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so everybody like I was like everybody's like, going live to watch this. Tra-. Everybody's like all of a sudden like well, I gotta watch this live. I'm like okay. Nintendo's doing a direct, which for uh, they're doing a movie, direct which, for a movie. Like, all right, man. There's a lot. You know, everybody's talking about Mario's lack of behind. You know. Oh no yeah, butt, what Mario's right? cheeks got nerfed hard. Yeah, they, they people, put out the first poster and people were like. Yo, where's the badonkadonk, dude? Yeah. What's what's happening? Mario's got no cakes, Rand. What's what? up with that? Why's Mario got a flat backside? What's going on here? He does all that jumping, and you're gonna tell me he's got no cheeks, dude? He's got no, he's got no, no cheeks, no, bro. No, 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 got none. You know, you got. We have master cheeks. Yeah, we got master cheeks over there, who's and historically got, we, not known for a butt. We got Mario, cheek. no cheeks. <laughs> it's been a year for adaptations and and butts i just, how I just love how like people just notice this. like the first thing people know that from that poster it's like mario got no ass <laughs> they, yeah like, the, they show like, the sprawling mushroom kingdom all of the vivid colors all of the in, the textures and environments and characters in the background and everyone yo where's mario's ass what's yeah. going on <laughs> so Ugh. It's interesting because as soon as the trailer ended, I saw like hashtag not my Mario trending. Oh, no. And like God. people were like, that voice was the worst thing in the history of the world. And here's my hot take, Miles, okay? Here's my hot take. I think it's kind of fine. <gasps> I think oh it's my okay. God. No, it's Rand, kind you of can't. what I was you... expecting. Like I wasn't expecting Chris Pratt to do a, hey, gabagook. Boobity bobbity, it's a me. Like, hey, it's a me. It's a Mario. No, that uh, wasn't. They straight up told you ahead of time that they weren't doing the stereotypical Italian yeah. thing. We'll say though. So even though I really don't have any problems with it, I will say he is being put to shame by Jack Black as Bowser. Ooh, Jack Black being put stole to shame that trailer. By um, uh, what is it? Uh, Keegan Michael Key is Toad. Keegan Michael King is Toad. Yep. Right. Like he is being put to shame by like literally everybody else f- from like the voices we've heard from the characters in the movie. So there's probably a good chance that he, everybody else will outshine him, and it'll just be, hey, it's Chris Pratt doing Mario. But like when I watched when I was watching that trailer, I didn't really have any interest in in the movie at all. Anyways, I didn't. And but I watched it. And I'm like. You know what? I'll rent this when it comes out. When it comes out, no, I'll I'll spend five bucks on this and, and watch it and have a good night. Like I'm not gonna go to the show, but I'm not like so turned off where I I heard the voice and I'm just like, this is the worst thing in the history of of movies. How, oh, not my Mario. You know, like I just uh. it's not it's not that bad. It's just hey, it's I mean I guess it's because Chris Pratt is just a little bit overexposed. So when you think of like the voice for Mario, you don't immediately think, "Oh yeah, Chris Pratt," right? So I, I think yeah, there's, it's, there's he's some such of that a big name, it. and I think really a lot of a, a lot of people don't like Chris Pratt for one reason or another, and I think that kind of fed into it as well as they they wanted him to bomb. Yeah. Um, here's my hot take. I don't have okay. a hot take. I thought, oh, yeah, like ooh. you, that it was just 
it wasn't that great. I wasn't floored. I wasn't like, oh my god, Chris Pratt killed it. But I also wasn't wildly offended, which is kind of what I expected or what a lot of people expected from it. But like you said, my takeaway is I don't care about Chris Pratt as Mario. I'm stoked about Jack Black as Bowser. Mm. I'm stoked about Keegan-Michael Key because I was worried. I love Keegan-Michael Key, but Toad is historically obnoxious. Toad is historically just a yes. shrieky, shrill, unlistenable monster, and I was worried that he would be that. But he found this fun balance where it is, it's Toad. It's the Toad you know, but it's tangible. It's fun. It's exciting. So like Toad is basically like your normal, regular Twitter user then, essentially? <laughs> Shrieking and screaming? Shrieky and intolerable. Is that kind of... <laughs> and then we got a brief taste of Charlie Day. I love Charlie Day. Uh, and I didn't expect yes. Charlie Day to change his voice at all. Charlie Day's voice no. is perfect for Luigi. It'd basically, as is. be uh, you know Charlie from yeah. "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Exactly. So. so Charlie Day, we got to see him in kind of like a Luigi's Mansion setting, which now a lot of people—that's what they're fixating on. Like, why didn't they just do a Luigi's Mansion movie? And I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. But overall, it wasn't bad. Overall, I left actually way more excited about this movie than I thought I was going to be. And now I'm at a place where I, I'll see it. I'll probably see it in theaters now because I thought what they showed was fun. I thought the world was beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chris Pratt as Mario is, is whatever. Um, he did basically a half-assed Brooklyn accent, which is... <laughs> it, and I think, in, in retrospect, that's probably the best we could have hoped for, if we're being honest. Did anyone here want... Did anyone here actually want... Chris Pratt to do the the stereotypical cliche Italian accent. That's what I want to know. Did you want that, Rand? Did you want Chris Pratt no. to try his hand at being a, a stereotype? What, like, hey, I'm a walk in here. Come <laughs> on. Like that? Did people want that? Because that's what I'm seeing. Because the French dub is going around, and the French dub oh, yeah. is pretty much just the Mario ripoff. The one-to-one -one Charles Martinet Mario ripoff. Um, well, you know, it's it, maybe they should have gotten the original voice actor to do Mar Mario, you know, and then surrounded him with all the other talent. What's interesting is he's in it. Charles Martinet is in the movie as someone else or as other voices. So I really think this was Nintendo saying we don't want the stereotypical Mario Italian actor. We want action. star power, so get Chris Pratt. Get call Chris Pratt. I know he's already booked for Garfield, but see if he can do Mario. See if he can take some time out of his stacked schedule to play Mario. And Chris, you know, he grew up and he was smashing Koopas all day. So Chris Pratt, without a second thought, was like, how much money? How much money am I getting? <laughs> yes, sign me up. So again, I'm curious to know what the, what the audience thinks, what the viewers think. Share your thoughts on Chris Pratt, Mario, VoiceGate, because I've seen a, the gamut. I've seen the gamut of, like you said, this is the worst voice I've ever heard. This is an insult to the entire games industry. How dare Chris Pratt? And then I've seen a lot of people, I think kind of align with you and I, where it's fine. It's whatever. It's not offensive, and that's all I can ask for. <laughs> um, could it be better? Sure. They could have got some no-name no actor that probably could have done a much better job than Chris Pratt. But, like you said, star power, baby. There's so yep. much buzz. The second Nintendo revealed that Chris Pratt was the voice of Mario, there was just this swell of buzz and energy and questions about this. And you don't yeah, get Nintendo that. Nintendo know what they're doing. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, you can decide. That's up to you to decide. But are people going to watch it? 
to eat A, dunk on Chris Pratt, and B, see if it's any good? Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah. People are going to oh, go yeah. to the theaters day one out of spite. <laughs> and hey, Nintendo's sitting back. They, they collecting those checks, baby. They don't care. They don't care how it comes in. All right, Rand, got to give a quick shout out to the 230 people rocking with us live on Xbox Chatterdays. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out. If you are listening to the audio versions of the show, having a good time, leave us a review as well. Rand. Miles. We're coming up on busy season. All yes, the, we are. All the games are dropping. Everything's yes. coming. And then outside of October in this holiday season... You one of next year. All publishers Ooh. have come together to conspire against our wallets. <laughs> they have come together and said, you know what? Hey, when are you releasing Resident Evil 4? Okay, cool. I'm going to release my game the same day. Oh, okay, mm. sick. When is a Redfall coming out? Oh, sick. Okay, well, I'm going to release my game two days before that. And there's going to be 500 games coming out between February Eight. and March 2022. To be expected because everything was delayed. <laughs> yep, everything's delayed. 2023 is the year until things get delayed to the end of the year like they normally do. We got those fiscal quarter goals that we need to hit. We got yeah. quotas, Rand. This game is coming out, all right? Sure, there's 500 games that are way bigger, and there's too much competition for all of these games to do well, but these investors have tricked themselves into thinking that they all have to release this game at the same time. One of those games coming out is the Dead Space remake from Ooh. EA Motive. is yes. still scheduled to drop in January. Like 27th, right? Yeah. Towards the end of January. I know you're a big Dead Space fan. And I know there have been some conversations leading up to this release from, I guess, folks like myself and Jez who've been burned by how EA did Visceral very dirty with the Dead Space sure series. Did. And now sure that did. horror is cool, and now that you can make money on horror again, EA is like, okay, yeah, let's remake Dead Space. That's a safe bet. We don't have to you know, spend all that much in the grand scheme of things. Chances are it'll probably sell... Let's do that. But some of that skepticism, I think, waned a little bit when we got our first gameplay trailer this week. So, Rand, after watching a slice of the enhanced visuals, the updated gameplay, how you feeling? How you feeling about EA's Dude, Dead Space remake? I'm feeling fantastic about it. Ooh. We got a, a reconnaissance or... Yeah, Re no. Renaissance? Renaissance. There we yes. go. We got a renaissance of survival horror, bro. We got Callisto oh. Protocol in December, right? Saying about 12 to 14 hours. Then we're hit with Dead Space, one of the best survival horror games ever made, but now remade from the ground up for next gen, looking oh so good. Oh so good. With you know, I didn't I really haven't been following a lot of the um the dev updates they've been doing, right? Because it's like I don't need to be sold on a remake of Dead Space. I'm already there. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like I don't even really want to watch the trailer. I did watch the trailer and it really kind of hit me in those nostalgic spots. Yeah. I was like, damn, this is looking really good. I know I I think people have been saying like they've added like they've expanded upon the lore and like there's like side quests or stuff or like extra things you can do. Uh, and the biggest thing I noticed as someone who's loves dead space and has played it like four times. Um, I didn't know eyes. I didn't know they were giving Isaac a voice that yeah. they brought his voice. So to me, I was like, damn, okay, that's interesting because 
the first Dead Space was was silent protagonist, which I didn't really care for. And it definitely makes the jump to two a little awkward. No, maybe awkward is not the best uh, word, but like you go from not speaking at all to one of the most terrifying situations a human can put themselves in. And then all of a sudden, the next game, Isaac is just a chatterbox who never stops talking, right? Mm-hmm. There was like, where's the middle ground? So when I saw and I was like, wait a minute, that's, I- that's Isaac's voice actor. I'm like, is Isaac talking in this game? So like, immediately I thought, okay, well that, that might change some things early. Cause most of the game, you're, it's, it's like kind of like very silent walking. And I would imagine now he would be talking to himself. So like now I'm definitely even more intrigued about how the game is going to play out. But not only you have dead space in January miles, you got one of the greatest games of all time being remade from in March with resident evil four. So it's, I am absolutely loving this horror renaissance that we're having. Mm I am loving that people are obviously remakes are safe, but not only are people doing remakes, people are taking risks on new IP Callisto protocol. While it is a spiritual successor to dead space, it is a new IP. We got stuff like killer clowns from outer space being adapted. We have the Texas chainsaw massacre. You're you're loving this stuff. I mean, you just got done playing like evil dead and stuff. Yeah. Evil. like... Like I've joked about this plenty of times, but I couldn't believe that they did an Evil Dead the game that was a multiplayer-centric experience. Because for me, that's mm. I mostly play multiplayer. I mostly play co-op, mostly play with my squad. I love Evil Dead. So that was very me. And then the Killer Clowns from Outer Space game came and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then they're remaking Resident Evil 4 and Dead Space, two of my favorite games of all time. There's a lot to be excited about. And yes. I'm hoping that this continues. This isn't like a oh, Capcom killed it with Resident Evil, so we're going to try it once, and if it doesn't work, we're moving on, which is kind of my fear with some of these folks dabbling in horror is that maybe that won't hit sales ex- expectations and they'll just move on, but I'm hoping it maintains momentum, and I'm hoping this this keeps the interest alive, and I would love to see a an actual new Dead Space. Again, yeah. Callisto Protocol in a lot of ways I think is going to be what I want from that, but I would still love to see the Dead Space IP and franchise exist and continue it's to interesting exist. it's interesting mal you talk about like a new dead space so like if you're remaking one and it's successful like we hope it is i hope it's really successful right because one and two are two of my favorite games from the 360 era and i i waffle back and forth of which one i like more some days i like one more but then sometimes some days i like the more actiony packed dead space two more right so I think Dead like, Space I'm, 2 is better paced, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you might be right. But I'm, I, I, I want to ask you this, because if you're you know, an executive at EA or somebody at Motive or whoever, and you're like, all right, Dead Space 1 was a success. What do we do now? Do we completely remake 2? Or do we sort of make a brand new Dead Space 2 that has really nothing to do with the OG Dead Space 2? Like, what is, I guess I'm asking you, like, what is, what does the future of Dead Space look like after this remake? Does it look like we're going to remake 2 and then forget about 3 because 3 was bad and do something different? Are we done and we're just remaking 1 as a quick money well, i'm not going to say quick money grab but like we just want to hop on the train we're give players kind of what they wanted a remake and we're done with this like where do you see them going with the future of dead space 
what I'm hoping is happening behind the scenes with with Dead Space and this reimagining of the first one, because it's not a one to one remake. It will have a lot of the same beats, a lot of the same moments, but it is a reimagined Dead Space in a lot of ways. So what I would love to see, as much as we've seen Capcom have success with their their string of remakes, RE2, RE3, now RE4, I'm hoping that RE4 is where they stop for a while. Like As much as I love those games, as much as I love Resident Evil, the first four, actually I don't love three. I'll say that, three is fine. Three is an okay. Actually, three is a mediocre Resident Evil game, both the original and the remake. You just um, went to okay to mediocre. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, that's where I'm at. I've had internal debates. I've had debates where I've said that Resident Evil 3 is just a bad game, an outright bad game. Um, so I'm, I've settled on mediocre. Resident Evil 3 is a mediocre game. But what I'm hoping with Dead Space is that they use this as a new jumping off point. So I would love a Dead Space 2 and a Dead Space 3 per se, but they don't have to be just remakes of Dead Space 2 and 3. I'm hoping they, like you said, if they're incorporating new story elements... I'm hoping that they can shift that, they can tweak that, and build a new foundation for Dead Space moving forward. Because it's going to be weird if they remake the first one and then do Dead Space colon something else. This is an entirely new universe, entirely new characters immediately after. I think that would be kind of weird. But if they can do a best of both worlds, like a, a requel, as they call it, a reboot sequel, where <laughs> you're able to continue and move forward beyond that, I think that would be the best case scenario for this because I would love a new Dead Space trilogy, but I don't want it just to be a string of one-to-one remakes for all of the Dead Space games. What about you? How you how you feeling about that plan? There's a part of me that wouldn't mind <clears throat> if they remade remade Dead Space Two in the vein of the what they're doing with this one, where it's expanded and it's there's new things, but it's still Dead Space Two, simply because Dead Space Two is amazing. Right? It's, uh, it is. It's, it has so many of my favorite moments of any horror game ever in one, so in one game. There's a part of me that's like, ah, uh, it's like, well, if they make something brand new, it's like you miss out on all the cool things that happen in two. And it's just like three, they completely can make something new. Cause three was, I don't, I couldn't remember any like cool things that happened in three. Cause it was just, it wasn't very good. It wasn't a good game outside of like the DLC with the endings, which were, I mean, very, <laughs> Did you did did you play the DLCs? Did yeah, I, I played. Like, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. The played. moons, Miles. The moons. It got uh, a little abstract and not in the right ways at the end of Dead Space Three. That's for sure. Yeah. So there, actually, so to me, I kind of just want a, a remake of Dead Space Two in the vein of what they're doing with the first one. And then just stop. Uh, just do Dead Space One and Two, and be like, all right, cool. No, and then they can they afterwards they can do whatever. I I don't know. I just. I just love Dead Space so much that I'm really excited to, you know, we're talking about games that Dead Space 1 was 2009, I believe, right? 2000... I want yeah, 2000, it might have been 2008 or 2008 or 2008, 2008. It was like 2008, 2010 or 2009, 2011. <laughs> I'm just happy we're in this ho- survival horror resurgence, right? Uh, that we're, we're getting a new IP like Callisto, that mm-hmm. Capcom sees the... Uh, you know, that, that Resident Evil, the old school stuff is worth it even now. Like I would love for them to remake Resident Evil Code Veronica. I think that's no, really the last it. one that really <laughs> needs a touch up. Like I don't think you need I don't think you need to do anything with five or six. Well, cause six is just a bad game. Five is better, but like 
I don't think anybody's clamoring for them to redo five. So five it's like, is still okay. very playable. Five is like five for me is a great co-op game, not a great horror game. Yeah, but like Resident Evil Code Veronica, I'm like, well, yeah, that's a pretty good game. And I, you know, that's... I, I would like them to not touch Code Veronica ever and leave it in the past <laughs> and go back to Resident Evil One and do a do another mm, remake do of another Re- remake of Resident Evil One in okay, the okay. RE engine because all right. the the original RE One remake is still fantastic. When it came out on GameCube, it was amazing. It came out. I'm relatively close actually to the original. It wasn't that long. It was just a few years after the original, but it was and so good. You know so what's good. great about this? Is it's not an either or scenario, right? Because some people are like, stop remakes, do new games, but they do. Like, They're doing they both. They do the remake and then they, they continue, right? They, they do the remake and then it's Resident Evil 7. They do the remake and then it's Re- Resident Evil 8, right? They do the remake and then it's going to be Resident Evil 9. You know, we even got we even got the expansion to Resident Evil Eight coming this fall, right? Yep. Third person camera, which that'd be definitely interesting to replay that game in third person. Uh, you know, the ex- expansion of after the story ends, you get to stuff. play as the, the daughter, the little baby. Yeah, you get to at play the as the daughter, so that that's that's something interesting. So it's I, I like Capcom's approach because you're doing the remakes of. Th- the games that the fans love modernizing it but at the same time you're still doing the new stuff because i love as much as i love resident evil 2 and resident evil 4 i I love those games to death i mean 2 still might be my favorite resident evil i also love resident evil 7 and resident evil 8 yes so it's like i'm getting exactly what i want like capcom understands i think what fans want it's like redo the great games so they're 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 perfect or they're better because Resident Evil Two you go back and play it now like the OGs is like oh whatever, but then don't stop making the new stuff. It's the best of both worlds, right? I'm just a little the one thing that does have me concerned now is like now that Resident Evil Eight ended like the Ethan Winters saga that started with Seven. My concern is that they'll go back to third person. Because there is something yeah. really cool about Resident Evil in first person that I really dig. I hope moving forward they just give us an option for both. Oh, okay. I know that'd be interesting. I know that's yeah. tricky, but we've seen that now with Village and the, the DLC coming out that's going to add third person. But that being said, Resident Evil Village, the core campaign is first person, and the entire new DLC that they're adding is only third person. And it's a little weird because I'm with you. I think as much as I grew up playing the third person Resident Evil and, and love them. Like like you, I think Resident Evil 2 is probably my all-time favorite. Um, the first person perspective of 7 and Village are so... like 7. Resident Evil 7 saved that entire franchise. Resident mm-hmm. Evil 7 is the most important thing that Capcom has done in the last 15 years because it reinvigorated all of Capcom. That, that, that game, taking those risks, having that be successful, having people be excited about that, that translated that to them taking risks with all of their main IP. And now, like you said, they're, they're leaning into what fans want. They're going all in on Resident Evil. They're delivering the best Devil May Cries they've ever done. They're delivering the best Monster Hunter games they've ever done. They're, the Street Fighter Pe- VI looks people are absolutely loving incredible. Sh- yeah, people are loving Street Fighter VI, right? Like that game was just a huge shot of energy and enthusiasm that told Capcom, all right, we can take risks. We can go all in on our ideas. And as long as we're true to that and true to what we want and true to what the fans want, they're going to buy it. And that's just been huge. So I would be sad if Resident Evil 9, my God, if they just 
if it is just called Resident Evil 9, if it is only third person. Because I know there have been fans who've, who have complained about the first person. And, you know, that's understandable. You have an established thing, you're used to it one way, and it mixes it up. But if the first person Resident Evil goes away forever, I'll, I'll be sad. I'll be a little bit I'll sad. I'll be sad, too. I'll be, I'll be sad, too, because you're right. Because, uh, like, Resident Evil 6 kind of soured a lot of people on the franchise. Yeah. And it was like, ah. And then, like, Resident Evil 7 came along in first person, and people were like, I don't know about this. But it was so freaking good. And One I think of the, people... The first 80% of that game is the best paced horror game that exists. The pacing oh, you, you don't like it when, it when it gets, like, the salt mines at the end? It's... I still like it. It's just not... It, because the first 80% of that game, I have zero complaints about. Zero. There is nothing wrong with the first 80% of Resident Evil 7 in my eyes. And then, yeah, towards the end, it gets the stereotypical, like... Oh, secret research facility. Oh, secret mine shaft. And you're like, okay, this is Resident Evil. Not at its best, but it's definitely Resident Evil. Um, and then the finale is just hilariously weird, which, again, very Resident Evil. But as far as horror games go, the first 80% of Resident Evil 7, 10 out of 10. Perfection. Spooky season. The great games for spooky season, which we're in right now, right? We're in. Yeah, we're in. All right, Rand, we got to talk about one negative element of Dead Space Remake, or one okay. element that has stirred up some controversy. Alongside this new gameplay trailer, and alongside the confirmation of the January release date, at least as of now, EA has revealed that the Dead Space Remake will be $70. <gasps> $69.99. <gasps> no, uh, are you and, really going to get me to talk about the $70 price point discussion? Isn't this been beaten to death for like, it's, oh my God. It's been beaten to death, Rana. It has. It absolutely has. But people are talking about it. So we're going to talk about it, especially because this is coming right off the back of everyone. I don't want to say everyone. A lot of people complaining about the price point of The Last of Us Part 1, The Last of Us Remake. People are like, you can't charge $70 for a remake. And now Dead Space is like, all right, we're charging $70 for a remake. So is this a big deal to you? Do you care? Should people be enraged? What's your stance on $70 not... video games? Rand! I'm not going to tell people what they should be outraged or not outraged about. How you feel about something is how you feel about something. If you think $70 should not be the price of a video game, you're entitled to your opinion as long as you stick to your to your claims and not buy the game then. Uh you know, more power to you. If you want to boycott it or whatever, then you know, that's 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 your prerogative and I won't I won't say you're wrong because, you know, Everybody's got opinions and and stuff. I just, if I want a game, I'll buy it. Yep. All right. I think that's fair. If I want, but like there is like, I'm not saying there isn't like a point. Like if they were like, oh, that space is a hundred bucks, I'd be like, hmm. Yeah, Yeah, at at a point. Yeah, at a point, it becomes egregious for sure. I also, I also game share. So to me, I look at everything as also like. Splitting that fifty fifty split. I'm splitting it. So like to me, it's like Dead Space is thirty five bucks. Oh, that's a bargain, baby. That's a steal. you know what I mean. That's that's so that's what I do. So like I don't really have any problems buying. And I guess maybe you could say like you're the reason why. It's like well, maybe you're I am. stealing. No, but, I don't know. I don't think that. You know, I I just don't like the the the, the extra money. Like it. Like I said, I want the game. Uh, I don't really feel like you know the 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 extra ten dollars is 
outrageous. I mean, they, could they sell for 60? Probably, yeah. You know, our company is greedy. Of course they are, right? Yeah, they want to maximize profits. And again, yeah, I don't want to talk. I mean, we can but have an entire thing, like, conversation this, this thing, about you don't whether have, it's you don't. Number one, you don't have to buy the game. Number two, you don't have to buy it at launch because games always go on sale, right? EA is a part of Game Pass. So like at some point, Dead Space will be in Game Pass. And if you're a Game Pass member, you can get Dead Space for, I think, 62 yeah, exactly. You get your Ultimate. nice little ten percent discount. So it's yeah, so you get the discount. Sixty-three dollars. You know. Yeah, I, I just, it's kind of tough to really, you know, hold a hard stance against the seventy-dollar stuff when, like, I would imagine in a couple years, like, a year or two from now, everybody's going to be putting out seventy-dollar games. I'm half expecting be just, Starfield. I'm I'm fairly. I don't want to say I'm fairly sure, but I would not be shocked at all if Starfield was seventy dollars. Kind of. I wouldn't be shocked either, but like, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay. Sony's charging 70 and maybe you can blame them for the adoption of that. Where like, nobody was really putting out. Like, what, okay, I think, I think 2K was games? first. I think 2K was the first to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 2K, NBA, 2K, 21. It's, it's possible. But then Sony during their thing, like they were like, no, the games will be 70. And, and, and you just knew as soon as a first party, platform holder said their games were full price at 70 you knew everybody was gonna follow so like ubisoft was holding firm they were like no 60 and then skull and bones is like their first 70 dollar release mm -hmm. and yep. then like you knew ea take two and what we would consider the greedy companies like activision they were all gonna do 70 yeah and then ev eventually everybody will just do 70 because that'll be the norm that people you know, uh, accept. Well, I'm not saying accept, but like they'll just put them out. Be like, this is the game. If you want to play it, you 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 got to pay the extra money. So, you know, if you don't if you don't want to spend that money, I understand. I mean, gaming is is a very expensive hobby, and it's only getting more expensive. I mean, there's plenty of alternatives. Uh, and plenty of free life is getting more expensive in general. Like our expenses yeah, every day for everything, everything gets more expensive. Uh, but that's why I always, you know, I, I, when I talk about this stuff, I game share. So me and my buddy, we share the expenses. He buys a game. I buy a game. He buys a game. I, so to me, it's just like, it's 35 bucks for Dead Space 2. That's how I look at it. It used to be 30. Now it's 35. Yeah. So, so again, yeah. there's, there's a reason I haven't been so like vocal about the last of us remake. Cause I've seen so many people demonize, villainize the last of us part one. And then turn around and say, "Oh, I'm stoked about Dead Space remake." And then I see people say, "Well, it's not the same. The the differences." But and again, that's just what it boils down to is you have the freedom to choose whatever you want to spend your money on. And if you don't want to spend seventy dollars, just you don't have to. And I look at collector's editions. I see people say $70 for video games is outrageous. And then I see people spend $400 on a collector's edition, which is something I would never do. I would never do that. But I've also bought plenty of dumb th things that other people would consider stupid or frivolous or whatever the case might be. So I'm not here to judge anyone on what they're excited about and what they're going to spend $70 on and what they're not going to spend $70 on. So that's kind of been my stance on the $70 thing. Is it warranted? I don't know. Like that's, I think that's the more interesting conversation is do publishers need to charge $70? Is that because we've seen people spin it as, oh, well, game creation is more expensive, so it's a necessity, blah, blah, blah. 
those conversations to me are more interesting as opposed to like, you should feel bad for spending $70. If you are excited about this, you are a bad person. You are contributing to the downfall of the games industry, which is kind of what some of these conversations turn into. And I think that's a little unfair ultimately at the end of the day. A little yeah, extreme. I mean, I guess, I guess you can make it, there's maybe an argument to be made about like remakes in general and then being $70, like, you didn't really create anything because someone else already did it. RE4 60, Rand. RE4 is not 70. Yeah, that, I mean, that is true. So, like, people be like, well, Last of Us already, everything about Last of Us already built. Everything about Last of Dead Space is already done. So, maybe people look at that and see it is not as justifiable to charge the extra money uh, for it rather than, like, a brand new experience like a Starfield or you know, a Callisto protocol or something that essentially is not only built from the ground up, but like storyboarded, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to come up with everything brand new. This isn't just riffing on, you know, previous work and going in and updating the textures and, and making the gameplay more, uh, you know, smoother and stuff like that. So I think there is a distinction between the two. Where people are like, how could this be seventy? What the ga- original games already exist, and it's now they're charging ten dollars. I, I mean, I sort of understand some of that. Yeah, I'm not going to fault honestly, anyone for feeling that way. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, it's because it's because these g- games are already expensive. Sixty bucks is is a lot. Like you go to a movie, you know, you go see a movie. Depending on where you're at, like it's expensive by me because I'm Chicago. But like you you can go see two hours of. Tom Cruise and, 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 you know, Top Gun Maverick for 12 bucks, right? Or you can, you can get some Spotify and listen to your favorite music for $10 a month or for free, right? A lot of the entertainment options that we have are cheap. And then you have gaming, which is like, hey, you want to play this game? 70 bucks. And it's just like, oh, that's a lot of money. Especially if you want to like, there is a sense. And I also believe companies do exploit this. And that's FOMO. There, yes. there are people out there that are deathly afraid of not being included in the discussion that's going on. You have so one like, week where the conversation is huge. Yeah. So it's like Dead Space is the game that's out now. And if you want to take part in the discussion of this game, then you have to spend 70 bucks. And I think there's a large fear with a lot of people that, of missing out on that, of, of being like, mm-hmm. uh, of being, you didn't play this? Well, geez. You know, so I think FOMO is definitely a factor. And, and that's one, of, I think one of the reasons why people pre-order in general, like I never pre-order a game until like literally the day before on Xbox, because there's no point. Like, why am I pre-ordering something uh, uh, six months in advance or five months in advance or a couple of weeks? Like I'll pre-order it the day before. I think just people just really sort of, they lose themselves when, when with the FOMO. It's, it's intoxicating. We've all been there. We've all been in that situation where I would use Elden Ring as a prime example. There were folks like me who just screaming about how good Elden Ring was. And then you had people who weren't probably going to buy Elden Ring, weren't that interested. But then they saw every single person online playing Elden Ring, talking about Elden Ring. And so like, all right, I guess I'll pick it up. I'll check it out and see what's going on. I think when we look at the Dead Space thing here, one other interesting wrinkle in this is that much like other EA titles, it's not $70 on PC. Square Enix has put out $70 games on PC. 
But EA does this thing where it's $60 on PC and then $70 on console. And how do you feel about that, that console tax, if, it, if you will? I mean, we've, been, we've been dealing with the console tax forever. This isn't new, is it? PC think- always been able to get games that are basically $10 cheaper than console, right? Yep. This isn't, this isn't a new phenomenon. I'm, maybe maybe it's reared its ugly head again recently because games on console are now seventy, so games on PC are sixty. So people feel they're getting ripped off or something. But as far as I'm aware, it's always been cheaper on PC. Because correct I don't know me if, if I'm wrong, during the 360 era, wasn't the standard price for PC games fifty? And you would I believe see, it was. You would see yeah. sixty dollars 360 games, and then the same game would be fifty dollars on PC. Yeah, and then you can you then there's like sites you could use to get codes for the games that are even cheaper so like I, that's always been a thing where it's like hey you got a pc you could essentially buy these games for a lot cheaper than you could buying it on console and whether that has to do with the co- the console tax so to speak but then i mean valve takes 30 percent, so it's not like valve doesn't take a cut of their the games they sell just like microsoft and xbox does so, or Microsoft and, and PlayStation and Nintendo do. So is there another, so I don't really know exactly why on PC it's $10 cheaper. People always talk about the console tax, but I always assumed when they meant by the console tax, that meant just because Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo take 30%, but so does Steam. So like, doesn't EA w- want to charge the same price? Because... Like, you know, selling the game at 60 on PC and then Valve taking 30%, you're, they're getting less money than they would selling it for 70 and then Valve taking 30 And so, that's why so many companies were trying to make their own launchers is because they don't have true. to. That's true. They don't And then the PC cut. community was like, uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, don't you make, don't you it's dare make me download another game. Steam client. or else. It's Steam or else. Steam or bust. So I was like, all right, we'll come back okay, to Steam, I guess. We'll be- you gotta yeah. give thirty percent to, to Valve for basically, uh, you know, as they would say, a lot of companies complain that Valve doesn't do anything, right? So they kick back and just—I mean, lately at least they've been doing things like the Steam Deck. But there was a period of time where they were just kicking back and just—they had their platform, they had their steady revenue stream, and they were just—they're just eating good, dude. They were just sitting back, collecting all that free revenue, essentially. Um, because yeah, it's not like a console where you have—you're getting the hardware. Valve is, oh, you buy the hardware and then you download our client. And then when you want to play any game, we're going to take money from the developers. So I don't know. Again, it's, I understand a lot of the complaints. I understand with anything, nobody wants to pay more. I, I don't care. Like you see people talk about, oh, well, fanboys online, PlayStation fans are proudly spending $70. The average rational human being does not want to pay more money for anything. You don't get stoked when Comcast raises your internet bill. You're not like, you know, internet's been provide or Comcast has been providing me great service for years now. They have the best in class internet experience. I will proudly pay more money per month. No, that's no, no one sounds like that. There's fake people online that have these weird opinions that are skewed and altered from reality. And then people use those as a, as proof for why we should be outraged or whatever the case is. But it, with anything, nobody wants to pay more. I don't want to pay $70 for video games when I could pay 60 but that's not going to stop me from probably spending $70 on the games that I want to play. 
And again, we can speak with our wallets. We can, we can boycott all of those things. Whatever you feel is going to be the most effective. Um, and you are entitled to feel the way that you do, and you are entitled to justify whatever purchases that you want to make. And that's where I'm at with the $70 price point on video games. I think a lot of the actual relative, relevant points and interesting points get swallowed and absorbed by the, the console war conversations because it's PlayStation versus Xbox, PlayStation's doing this, Xbox isn't. And that's just, it ruins a lot, like with most things, it ruins the actual conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's my. That's why you game share, buddy. You know, game share. That's the game share, so you can get the game cheaper than everybody else. Great. There you go. There you go. You got you got alternatives. You got services like Xbox Game Pass. You got game share. You know there are ways to get get around it. Save yourself some money. And I'm not going to fault anyone for trying to save some money in this economy. All right. Mm-hmm. Got to give a quick shout out for the 275 amazing folks joining us live. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, smash it if you will. If you're new to the channel, dig in the show, subscribe as well. You know, we got any uh, super chats, Miles? We got some super chats. I'm gonna get caught up here because we got quite a few to get into. Appreciate all the amazing support from the folks dropping super chats. First up, Nick W says, Hi guys, I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. What games are you looking forward to that are coming out within the next year? All right, Rand. Top three Oof. games coming out within the next year for Rand, Al, Thor, 19. Top three. Top that, three. God of War Ragnarok. Beautiful. Coming out real soon. Went gold. Shout out to Hargeet in the chat. I'm assuming he's still here. Hargeet was very much around the line that it was going to be delayed. He, he, the day before they announced it going gold, Hargeet was telling me and Colt, I think it might be delayed. Uh-oh. Mm. Shout out to you, Hargeet. You're amazing. <laughs> um, Throwing shade. Love God of War Ragnarok. Uh, Hellblade Two. Yeah, I love my Hellblade, bro. I, oh. Hopefully, it comes out soon. Hopefully, it's next year. He said, "Yeah, he said within the next year." And that one is, I would I'm within the next year. I think money. I think, there's a I think it's going to be their big holiday game. I think, it's, I think there's a good chance. That I, think it's out, their, uh, I think it's their. I think it's their big holiday showcase game. Personally, uh, so what would be the next one? Let's just go with. See, there's a lot of games here, but I'm just going to go with. Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil. So how's that? That's, that's a beautiful list. Mine's going to be Callisto Protocol, Resident Evil 4, and Pokemon Scarlet. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, boy! Let's get it, son! <laughs> Are you going to play with me? Are we going to play together? No, I'm not. No, Let's play some no, co-op. I'm not. I'm not. Let's do not it. Not at all. I'll buy you a copy. All you got to do is dust off matter. that switch. Doesn't matter. You, not only would you have to buy me a copy, you'd have to pay me to play it. I'm not gonna pay you. Sh- like, you know, hundred dollars an hour. I'll play it with you. There I'll you pay go. you with joy. All right, try <laughs> it. I won't get any joy out of it. You might get joy out of me playing it, but I certainly won't get any <laughs> any joy out of it. Wow. Wow, Rand. Um, Jonas the dad with the super chat says, "Building Star Wars Lego, loving the chatter day. That that's a way to spend a Saturday. Building some Legos." Listening to Xbox Chatterdays. Mr. Joanna Dark, who's been a member for 24 months, says hello to the GOAT, Miles Dompierre, and the incredible Rad mm. Al Nintendo Thor 19. <laughs> With this survival horror renaissance, we need Code Veronica back. All right, so he's on your side. Yeah, 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 Code of Veronica. course. Code Veronica's a great game. And people are entitled to like it. You know, that's fine. I'm entitled mm-hmm. to say I don't like it. I, I love Resident Evil, but I really 
Code Veronica is one of my least favorite Resident Evils. I would put six. I would put Resident Evil six firmly above Code Veronica. You're you're a liar. I know. I swear to you. I have beat Resident Evil six at least several times. Code Veronica. I fin. I powered through once, and it was grueling. I I tried to play it this past year. I made it about an hour and a half in and said, no, 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 no. This game is getting uninstalled, unarchived. I'm going to hide it from my game's library on Xbox. Be gone, demon. <laughs> um, Mr. Joanna Dark, a follow-up to this says, Randall Thor 19 is my hero. He is a man of great taste and culture. Miles, mm. now Jez and Rand have solidified Code Veronica as a banger. Mr. Joanna Dark, big Code Veronica fan. It's, it's a meme tell. that he comes in here and baits me to talk about Code Veronica. I don't like it. I, it's I, a great game. It should be remade. Resident Evil you know, Zero it's... and Code Veronica are like at the bottom of the list for me. Oh, Zero, is, Zero is worse than Code Veronica. Uh, what about all the Resident Evil multiplayer games, huh? Where are those uh, places? I mean, those are bad. What was the Call of Duty style one? That that's down there. I'm just well, talking like about Resident like, Evil Umbrella City, right? There like was um, Resident game? Evil like Umbrella Chronicles, which I think was the on rails shooter. Then there was Operation Raccoon City, which shout out to Back Compat, y'all, because that's on Back Compat. And we've been playing it in recent years or recent months, and it's pretty much if Resident Evil tried to be Gears of War, which I don't know if anyone wants that, but it's it's there. It's there, and it's FPS boosted, so it's 60 FPS if you feel like playing <laughs> Gears of Resident Evil. Wasn't there Evil. supposed to be a multiplayer game with Resident Evil 8? Oh, it's coming. R-Everse. Is it? R-Everse. Yeah. Um, they've been so quiet about that, and um, I played the I wonder if I wonder if they're upset, or they wish they never said it would come free with the game, because they probably, like, I think they sucks. wanted to cancel it. They, I... I imagine if they didn't promise a multiplayer thing with, with the village package, they would have canceled it. And I don't say this lightly, and I don't say this is just a, a meme, but it was a game I played in beta that I my first thought was, this should be canceled, or this should be completely mm. remade. What is? It was the worst Resident Evil thing. It's the worst thing Capcom has tried to put out in their, like, their renaissance. As we talked about, Capcom is killing it on every level, and then you see R-Everse, and you say, what? happened here where did the wires get crossed did you give this team no budget and no resources and no time what is this experience and yeah that's coming that's coming this month rand october you want to squat up from, for some re verse see what's mm -hmm. up nah bro i'm good bro all right rand let's talk about cd project red because cd project red has had a another bit of a renaissance in recent months following the release of cyberpunk edge runners on netflix they had a Netflix anime adaptation that was received really well. They've had a string of updates to Cyberpunk 2077. And as we've seen, there's been huge bursts or boosts to the concurrent players on platforms like Steam. And we've seen it at the, the number one game sold on Xbox, I think, last week or the week before. So a lot of people are willing to go back and check out Cyberpunk 2077 again after a horrific, ugly, rough launch that objectively damaged CDPR's reputation and will have consequences for the next few CDPR games that exist. Whether you like Cyberpunk 2077 or not, that launch was so bad that it was the game was pulled from the PlayStation Store. Name a time in history where a AAA game has been pulled from a console store. 
There was the Batman Arkham Knight situation where it was pulled on PC, but I cannot think of a time where a game was pulled because of being too buggy on a major platform like PlayStation. And then it had to have a disclaimer on the Xbox store saying, you can buy it, it might run like garbage, and if you don't like it, you can return it. That doesn't happen. Like, those kind of things don't happen. So that was a rough, rough launch. But there's been some momentum. There's been some goodwill being restored by CDPR, and this week they dropped a huge roadmap, a just staggering roadmap of the next slate of titles coming from this publisher. And so here is what CDPR... PR has promised to deliver in the coming years. We have a sequel to Cyberpunk 2077, codenamed Orion. We have a new Witcher game, codenamed Polaris, set to be the start of a brand new Witcher trilogy. So they have confirmed that there will be an upcoming Witcher trilogy. There's going to be another Witcher game, separate from the trilogy, referred to as Canis Majora from an external studio. There's going to be another multiplayer project from the recently required The Molasses Flood, codenamed Sirius. And to cap it all off, a new IP codenamed Hadar. So Rand, this is seven games. CDPR has laid out their next seven games here. What's your stance on this approach? And are you happy to see CDPR just lay it all out on the table like this? Um, it's definitely very intriguing what they're doing because... A lot of um, the the video game industry is very much shrouded in a secrecy. Yes, right? very much. So to see them come out and be like, "Listen, here's basically our roadmap for the next fifteen years, ten years at least, at least ten, yeah, probably." Right? We got a, we got a new game, we got a new cyberpunk game, we got a new trilogy of Witcher games plus a standalone Witcher game. We got a brand new RPG IP that we're making. We got multiplayer game that you know it's like they're basically laying it all in line and i think maybe part of it's because they had to repair the damage to their reputation uh because of the cyberpunk launch which seems to have rebounded nicely and i love this sort of revisionist history that is going on here that some people have on twitter where they're like well the game was always good i'm glad people realize it now you know like kind of sort of oh, like uh, sidestepping the issues that people had with Ooh. Cyberpunk at launch, right? Or minimizing the, the issues that it had at, at launch where like they lied about the Xbox One and the PS4 version. And I, the game I just played didn't run well. Cyberpunk 2077 at launch on the Series X, which was the best case scenario for the console version. At the time, yeah. that was the best way to play it on console. And still, it was, it was rough. It was ugly. It, there most of the cutscenes had T posing characters. Um, it was not a smooth launch. I enjoyed the game. I finished the game. I played it at launch. I thought it was a above average open world game. But yes, I I don't yeah, but really you, you appreciate. You do agree with me? There's been a revisionist history by s- certain people online that are just like, oh well, people are now recognizing the greatness and whatever. Like yeah, but the launch was absolutely horrid. Like compared to exists. what it could have been, and compared to what people want. Yeah. No, like the game, I don't... That, the game had like 10 million pre-orders because people were so excited about it and they're coming off of Witcher 3, which a lot of people consider one of the greatest games ever made, right? Yes, that game had, and that was another game that launched kind of rough in terms of bugs, a little buggy, um, not nearly sure. on the same level as Cyberpunk, but that again, 
just goodwill, free DLC, all of this momentum, all of this energy poured into to CDPR and how they are a studio and a publisher for the gamers and they, they care what gamers want and then they were teasing and promising all of these features for Cyberpunk and then it came out and it wasn't, I don't care yeah. what platform you played it on, I don't care if you played it on the, the highest end PC possible, it was not what they said it was going to be. I mean, Jez would disagree with you. Jez said it was game of the year 2020 whenever it came out you know, or whatever, uh, because he still gets crap for his original review of that game, I yeah, believe. Because he, um, he gave it a five out of five for us, because that's how we use our scale. And again, I yeah. I don't agree. I'm not going to fault. We're all entitled to our opinions. Um, but yeah, I liked, I liked Cyberpunk 2077. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it was a bad game, but it was I, the worst AAA release that we've seen in our generation. So you have that going on, but you got to, I mean got to hand it to them they went into they, they they put their noses down they did all the updates i think it was incredibly smart timing this update to with this anime yep on netflix and it also helps that apparently i haven't watched it yet because i'm oh I, i'm watching my first anime i'm almost finished oh, i got two episodes left of, coming uh, in i don't know how we get that but this was an anime that my buddy was telling me isn't really it doesn't really have the anime tropes that i don't that i you know, I don't like, like I, I'm watching, I, I got two episodes left of Vinland Saga. Right. And, um, so I'm like, all right, once I finish Vinland Saga, I'll watch cyberpunk. And I think it helps that the cyberpunk anime is really good. So people watch that and they're like, all right, you know what? Let me go back to cyberpunk and they go back to cyberpunk. And it's a lot better than they They recall when they maybe started playing it back in 2020 yeah. and dropped it. Or this is their first time playing it, so now they're like, "Oh, damn! All right, I'm gonna keep on playing this." And it's you know, 50 hour adventure. So then you get all these people playing it, talking about it, right? It builds up that sort of um, viralness where it where it dominates the conversation, and it's like, "Oh man, it, Cyberpunk is great, right?" And, it, and so there's it's very smart how they've done it, and with them laying out their roadmap, I also think that's sort of smart because the secrecy has been lifted. Now you don't really need to know what they're working on. Although I, there's a part of me that maybe thinks maybe gamers aren't so mature enough to like kind of deal with this sort of info. Um, because it's kind of just like these games are so far out. Uh, and it's just like, and, and we've seen it, what, what it looks like when games release footage of stuff and alphas where the people like, like recently with the Grand Theft Auto 6 leaks, right? We're talking about how bad it looked. How people talked about how bad it looked, but it's like, yeah, but it's like, of course it's going to look like that because graphics are like the last thing that basically gets put into the game. But then people are like, if you know anything about the video game and you know the graphics, like, and it's just like, thought. I was like, damn, if that game looks that good now, I would imagine the game's going to look pretty damn amazing when it does come out. And so there's like a segment of the populace, the gaming populace that aren't mature enough to handle the, that sort of, uh, you know, reveals and stuff. But it's, it is interesting to see, uh, someone like CD project red basically do this when nobody else is. Cause the, they just been like, here's everything we're working on. What do you guys think? And I think they're riding that wave of positivity with Cyberpunk, where people are like, damn, this is the game we always kind of imagined. You got the anime, it's great. What are you working on next? And they're like, well, we got another Cyberpunk sequel. 
And we got more Witcher games coming, which people wanted. And we got this and we got that. So people are like, damn, okay, cool. I'm back in. So I think it, I think it, I think it was smart for them to do that. You know, they don't, so not, you know, their pipeline. So you're not really like looking, digging for stuff. And it's just like, all right, you know, there's three more, four more Witcher games coming. So it's like, as a Witcher fan, you're like, all right, cool. We, I'm sad. We're going to be eaten, right? Like, so. um, It is an interesting approach. And I think, like you said, this seems very strategic in a lot of ways. Now that they have this surge of goodwill and momentum with, with the anime, with the, the influx of new players to cyberpunk, the influx of returning players to cyberpunk 2077 and the state of the game in a lot of ways, especially from a polish perspective is dramatically better than at launch. So people are, yeah, this, this world is really cool. And I think that's the people that love cyberpunk. I think they love the world. That is the thing that I hear people unanimously praise about cyberpunk is because the setting is so great. And as we've seen with the anime, they're recreating sections of night city in it. And so people are like, man, this world is so cool. I just want to be a part of this world. And so I think with a sequel to cyberpunk, that is with all this goodwill and energy, that is, that is the right approach. We have seen this, this conflict where people talk about why is the gaming industry so secretive? Why won't people tell us what they're working on? Why won't people show us gameplay? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter that it's early. And then, like you said, when people do come out and they show you early trailers, they show you early gameplay, people are like, oh man, this tra- Ugh, the, the FPS and this is terrible. This looks really bad. The graphics are bad. And so... Like you said, there is this conflict where I'm sure there are a lot of teams who want to show you stuff early. And then there's a lot of teams who just don't, absolutely don't, because they know what the conversation is going to be. And they understand what their pipeline looks like. They understand where the areas of polish are going to be. And like you said, a lot of developers have come out, like the, the Rare team with Sea of Thieves have showed you, like, this is what the game looked like for a bulk of the game. It, it didn't mm-hmm. look good. It looked ugly. It, and if we showed you this early on, you would have clowned on it into oblivion. And we we can't do that. Now that it's well, out, and now that you see what it is, we can happily show that, and it doesn't matter. But you can't, in a lot of ways, use that to advertise your game to just the average person who's disconnected from the conversations. Well, I've also seen a lot of people mention that Xbox should do this, be this transparent. I and feel like they have been. Like we know No, yeah, what... I was going to say, like... They sort of have because how many games that they show in 2020 aren't even out yet and we don't know when they're coming. I think Microsoft showed their hand of like, these are the games that are in production. Granted, CGI trailers because they probably didn't look good or in the state they didn't want to show them. But people are like, I want to just know what Xbox is working on. It's like, well, you do know. It's like Perfect Dark, Avowed, you know, uh, Fable, State of Decay 3, Everwild. Right, those are just five games off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, not you know, yeah, we don't know what Compulsion's working on and some of the other stuff, but uh, I think maybe at the time people thought those those games would be closer to release than they are, and Xbox switching E3 up to like only focus on the next year, I think also screwed around with a lot of people because they expect like I want to see games that are two to three years away, and so like when they do show you it. Or I guess maybe Xbox should have been more upfront and been like, okay, the games we're showing you are farther out. So there is that, um, at least you know, like, okay, these things are, are further out. Like, uh, maybe there are people out there when, that, when they showed off Fable in 2020 thought we'd be playing Fable in 2022. 
Yeah, I'm, I know that, there were. Because yeah, people... that's certainly a possibility. So um, there is that fine line you have to walk of, of, of okay, we, 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 we want to like show things off, but we don't want to show things off too early because we've been burned before. Last generation, you know, we got burned by showing off Scalebound a couple times and then canceling it and then showing off Crackdown 3 and then essentially Completely not seeing it for years. It. And then when, it, when you do see it, it's a, a bad game, right? It's not what people wanted. So it's like people, so it's like people want to know what everybody's working on. And so when they finally give it to you, and then three or three years later, you're like, well, why isn't this game out? And you're like, well, you you wanted to know what we're working on, and now you're complaining that the games aren't ready. It's right? it's an There's impossible balance, delicate balance that pe- teams and developers and stuff have to walk because it's not like movies. Because I see people saying, like, why don't you do like the Marvel lineup? The Marvel lineup is different because movies don't take nearly as long to make as games. No, right? they're way. Yeah. I don't want to say they're easier because that di- downplays all the work that goes into them, but. They take a lot less time, dramatically. Yes, a lot less, less time. time to film a movie than it does to make a game. So, and there's plenty of games that are that are canceled that you don't know about that we never hear about because things don't work out for whatever reasons. So it's just it, it, it's like two different industries. And as someone who would, yeah, I mean, I would love for Xbox to show up. Like this is everything we're working on, all 50 projects. But then it's like you'd be stuck with showcases for the next five years showing off the same exact stuff that you've already seen, which Sony had that problem uh, last gen towards the end of like where it was like 2017, 2018, 2019, or where they showed off the same three games because it was the only three games they had left for that gen. And every year it was like, okay, this game, this game, this game. And people are like, all right, cool. And then next year was the same three games. And people are like, well, and the next year was the same three games, and people are like, what? The, the, every time they showed it, you just get less and less enthused about it. So uh, I'm going to because... pose a question to you and the chat here, because I am seeing people in the chat say that the, the argument is that they want just Xbox to come out and lay out all of their code names. Just, here's everything. <laughs> here's a, here's, a, here's a text document with everything that we're working on. And <laughs> no, let, no, no, let, no, me, no. let me ask you a real question, and a, a question in the chat here. Is that really what we want? Like, how... How interesting would that be if Xbox was just like, hey, here's this code name from this team. Here's, here's this sequel, as opposed to getting an actual reveal. And again, there's leaks, and people are like, well, how do they control leaks? I mean, in this era, it's going to be impossible. You got to just figure out how to balance it, that stuff. All, it's pretty much impossible to stop leaks now. With, with how many people and the fact that teams need to recruit for projects, there's no way to keep it completely secret, but is just... A, a code name it's exciting for us as people entrenched in it and who have podcasts who listen to podcasts but in terms of the reveal for the game in terms of that moment would that be gone if we got that that text document like imagine if there was a v- video game awards and they said boom here's a new trailer for the witcher the w- new witcher trilogy would that be more exciting than a text document that says witcher trilogy's coming here you go well I've, well, the so I got a couple thoughts here. Like, let's just imagine a scenario where um, we get a text document from Xbox, and one of the games on there is say just is Pro- Project Miles, right? Oh, Phantom Dust. That's what that. And it says so. It's like Project Miles developer id. Yeah. Right. So okay, you know that they're making a game, which we already knew. 
and now you know the project name, but you don't know anything else about it. Does that spoil anything that they're working on something? But do you need that information? Or do we well, really that's think the other that, thing. It's do like, we really does... think it is not working on a game? Like, well, that's the other thing. It's like, do you need to know that what they're working on is called Project Miles? Because here's the scenario I could see layout. Let's say Xbox filed that and was like, here's a list of the 50 projects we're working on with their code names, right? But then, and let's just say they updated it every year. Like, here's the here's the list. As soon as one of those project names from a developer was off that list and got canceled. People would be like, "Well, what happened to this?" Because these sort of things happen all like happen all the time. That you know, it's like not every single project go, finishes to completion. Yeah, you know, it's some common. projects may even change hands, so the studios may be even a little bit different. So, I don't know. Like, I personally, I don't really like when Jez leaks project names. I don't have an issue with it, realistically, because it's like, what is it really spoiling that? Uh, Compulsion's game is Project Midnight. Now, where I did fight with Jez a little bit was Jez wanted to include the concept art. And I'm just like, mm, mm, I, that's taking it a step too far. Because that shows, then that's that gives away sort the, of the tone, the theme. What the, yeah, what it's going for. And then description, like, okay, it's gothic, you know, third part. It's like, okay, well, now you're like, that's not that too much of a spoiler. But, you know, I always, because I, Contrary to the popular opinion, like I always am fighting Jez and I'm telling him don't leak stuff, right? Um, people have he, uh, passionate people want leaks. Obviously, people I know want people leaks. want leaks, but then but then when they get the leaks and they watch E3 and they know everything that's there because of the leaks, then they say the then they complain sucks. that there's no surprises. <laughs> like we love Jeff Grubb. I think Jeff Grubb's amazing. He's one of the my favorite people in the game industry to listen to him talk about stuff. But let's be honest here. If we didn't, if he didn't say that Xbox was working with Kojima game, everybody would have been shocked at E3 when they announced that game. But because he had been talking about it for a year and leaked it, it was expected. It was expected to be there. It wasn't shocking or it wasn't a surprise anymore. So it has that dual-bladed nature where, like, you want to know what they're working on, and then when you finally see it, you're and you're looking back at everything and like, well, this E3 wasn't that good. And it's, yeah, because you knew everything that was there because you loved the leaks. How yeah, big it, would that Kojima announcement have been if nobody had said a word about it at all? If that, if that was just completely out of the blue, that would have been a quote-unquote megaton. If, they, if Phil Spencer's like, here's Hideo Kojima, and guess yeah, what? We're making a game. People lost their minds. But it, was, but it wasn't because we had known about it for a year. Yeah, it so, was just, people are like, when is it happening? Is it happening at this show? Is it happening at this show? Is it happening? Yeah. And there was just, every single show was that speculation for uh, and e over and even, a year. And even, even uh, I remember certain people saying, like, when they revealed Dead Space for the first time, it was underwhelming because the Grubster had basically leaked that too. So it was like, oh, Dead Space is going to be there. So the surprise was taken away. Now, not everybody, of course, follows you know the leak industry. Or Jeff exactly. Not or everyone's Jez on Twitter. As much as we think people are, most people aren't on Twitter. Yeah. So. But then again, a lot of the, the commentary after the shows are like, well, was it really good? Was it this and that? And it's just like, well, there wasn't a lot of surprises. It's like, well, yeah, because you know or have an idea of everything that's there. So, you know, it's it's just... 
people i guess it's just one of those things where people want a lot of stuff and then complain and then they get it and then they complain that they're not like surprised anymore about certain things and jazz is sitting on a whole bunch of info that he doesn't want to leak and it's just like probably shouldn't you know like um, there, it's like like i said earlier it's an impossible balance when it comes to how do you present games when do you talk about games what is the community going to understand what does the audience want to see what are they going to be disappointed if we show and then every time they have a show they get tons and tons and tons and tons of feedback and it's this this constant back and forth of do we show this game now and then when they showed a bunch of stuff that was coming in within the first year people are like this is no i didn't want just that you don't have anything coming and just this one year I'm excited about. Why'd you do that? And they're like, well, we did that because you were complaining that we didn't have anything coming in the near future. And so, yeah, with, with Xbox in particular, there is the, this constant back and forth and there are the leaks that they have to contribute and they have to balance. Like, how do we present that? Even when the leak comes out, we still have to make it this impactful moment. And how do we message that? So again, everyone has their preferences for how they like things to be revealed. I'm a big fan of surprises. My wife hates mm. surprises. My wife mm. does not like me to surprise her. So I, I usually don't. Every now and then I'll sneak one in because it's just fun for me. I like that. I like that moment. And again, talking to developers and talking to teams, like they all look forward to that moment where their game comes out and is shown for the first time, revealed for the first time. And there's so much energy that goes into making sure that moment is special and they get to talk about it publicly and all everything they've been working on for years gets gets revealed to the world. And that is a special moment, I think, for fans and for developers. And I think code names and leaks in a lot of ways. Again, I'm not saying if you leak stuff, you're bad, but those take away. Those moments are gone. You don't get that. We don't get that. The developer doesn't get that. Nobody gets a cool moment from that. And so it's, for me, as someone who loves surprises, who loves to be delighted with something I wasn't expecting, it's a bummer. It's a bummer to go into an Xbox show and go, I know every single thing that's going to be here. That's not fun. That's not fun. That's not a fun place to be. And then again, people like myself are like, well, I wasn't surprised. I didn't get a surprise. But maybe if you hadn't been following Xbox for the last year and you just popped into a show, you'd be like, what? This is crazy. Mm. Yeah. So again, we can have a lot of long conversations on leaks and whether or not to do them and if they're good or bad, but the reality is people want them. People really want them. And so that's why they exist. That's why there's a, there's a network, there's a market for it because people want that information. People don't like secrets. And that's what it really boils down to is the video game industry has a lot of secrets because we know that these teams are all working on something. We just want to know what that something is. But when games take four or five years to make, it's we don't like to wait years to to know what they're working on. That is true. So what we what we got next? Overwatch two miles. We got to talk about. Uh, I'm gonna Overwatch skip to two? one. Uh, actually, yeah, let's touch on Overwatch real quick. I'm gonna get to a couple super chats. And again, okay. huge shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. Appreciate all y'all. Uh, Gold Shell says. After server fixes, Blizz is back. Overwatch 2 and D4 hype. And then Nick W says, what about RE Outbreak? That deserves a remake. Yes. RE Outbreak is a franchise ripe for experimentation. That game was so ahead of its time in so many ways. Um, Rand, Overwatch 2, baby, it's out in open beta. And it has not been a smooth launch. 
Um, this game has been kind of rife with controversies. And again, it's a big multiplayer game. I don't expect any big multiplayer game to have a smooth launch anymore. Like it's my illusions of that happening are, are gone. Halo Infinite managed to do it, but now look how we're talking about Halo Infinite. So big multiplayer games, it's tough. And Overwatch 2 launched in beta. Uh, it had long server queues. It was hit with a DDoS attack, which amplified the launch day woes. So people were in queues of 400,000 people unable to play. Even when they got into the queue, they would get, or when they got to the end of the queue, they were disconnected. Just a lot of issues. So after several days, things have stabilized. As Goldshell said, things have stabilized. The game is playable. I played some rounds last night. Rand, have you been playing overwatch 2 since it's no watch miles i have not you um, haven't been fomoed into playing overwatch 2 no because you know i don't really i don't really get fomo like especially for stuff i don't want to play so i'm not dying to be like i need to talk about overwatch 2 guys i mean i i like the first game well enough uh, i didn't play it for long so i was like when Overwatch 2 was announced. I was like, mm, kind of weird in a world of every game sort of existing forever. Like Rainbow Six Siege has been going on since 2015. And Apex, like now it's just like you just have this one game gone forever. And then whatever, it's like, oh, oh Overwatch 1 is now Overwatch 2 and whatever, all this stuff. I'm interested in the PVE. I'm interested in that aspect of the game. Uh, which supposedly is coming next year. So that's when I will play Overwatch 2 because that's what I would care about. I really don't have any interest playing the multiplayer of it. So my friends have all, like, they, they were there, you know, when the game was about to go live. They sat in parties and complained that they couldn't get in and all this stuff. So it's just, yeah, I'm just, I'm not doing that. I don't care. Um. I'm going to give a, a compliment sandwich here to Overwatch 2. On its surface, Overwatch, really fun. Overwatch 2, really fun experience. Great characters, great stages, great direction in a lot of ways. Fun, fun abilities, unique ways to play each character. There's really something that caters to every single person's play style. A lot of the, the balance and team synergy is really important to winning or losing matches. So it's a game where playing with the squad and communicating is critical. That being said, as you touched on briefly, this approach to Overwatch 2, that, that, that has rubbed me the wrong way. This is not a sequel, and if it is a sequel, it's a sequel in the most cynical sense ever. This is a sequel only for marketing purposes. The same client, it has all the same achievements on Xbox, playtime stats, all your characters transfer over. What they launched with the beta is, I think, two, two new characters, two new maps, maybe, maybe less than that a really small fraction of content that was added to this open beta. They did rework a lot of maps. They did rework a lot of characters. It's now 5v5 instead of 6v6. So there's a lot of balancing changes here. But this just feels like old, scummy Activision at its worst when it comes to, the, oh, this is Overwatch 2. And the only reason they're calling it Overwatch 2 instead of doing what every other successful games as a service title do, does is because they failed to successfully deliver ongoing, ongoing content for Overwatch 1. At its time, there were new characters, there were some new maps, but compared to stuff like Smite, Fortnite, it was not consistent at all. And now they're trying to relaunch it, rebrand it, if you will, use the tired 
Destiny 2 style sequel, sequel in huge air quotes, because it's not a sequel. It's really not a sequel. It is an update. It's a refresh to Overwatch 1. And the fact that they're calling it Overwatch 2 is just to get marketing buzz. And I think that is lame. That is That to me is really gross old video game marketing. That being said, I have played some rounds. I, I have fun. The squad's been playing. Um, it is most of the same maps. So that's been a complaint for me is if you played a lot of Overwatch 1, like I played a lot of Overwatch 1, it's, it's that. If you're in the mood for more Overwatch 1, but looking slightly better with some, some rebalanced stuff, some, some new characters, and a battle pass that is an absolute miserable grind, um, mm. it's there for you. It's, it's there for you. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I'm going to play it that long, to be honest. It's um, made me really uh, happy t- to have this Activision Blizzard deal close, Rand. Let me tell you. Because oh, um, you're not enjoying the drama. Well, we're going to be talking about the drama. We're going to be going straight into the drama here because that's where this is all going. Activision Blizzard, baby. That is that is the talk of the town. That is the main conversation. And this week, we got some new details, Rand. And I know mm. you've been slurping up this drama. You've been sucking up this. Your saga as Dark Rand, as Toxic Rand is in full effect. You're on Twitter just stirring the pot, just sucking up all See, of this I, drama. I don't, I don't agree with that because what did I really do? What did I really you do know, on you Twitter? Put, you put out a YouTube thumbnail that had Jim oh, Ryan and Phil Spencer. Sure. Come that on. That was a great thumbnail, though. That was a, you have to admit, that was a really good thumbnail. <laughs> it made me laugh because of how it's yeah. just quintessential xbox cringe was bro you know people are like i don't want a phil spencer jim ryan thumbnail well i was like how about one jim ryan and many phil spencer yeah you see that's right? that's your unique twist one jim yeah. bunch of phils i think and, you know i didn't i didn't I, share it i usually don't share my videos on twitter and i was just like i got to because this thumbnail and i knew it was gonna some people would get upset because it's like you hate playstation it's like uh-uh it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, I like PlayStation quite a bit. I think it's the utmost uh, compliment that I literally bought their system only for exclusives. I'm only turning my PlayStation on a couple times a year to play their own games. Uh, I think that's a, a high compliment to pay, that their games are so good. But you bought an entire get, console for it. I bought an entire console to play your games. Um, it's just, uh, you know, some of the things that have been going on between... Activision or between Xbox and PlayStation over this Activision deal is just hysterical to me. It's it's been so, so juicy. It's been like the one yeah. thing I love about this acquisition is the the statements and the responses mm. and the caddy back and forth that we get from love these prominent prominent <laughs> figures of multi billion dollar companies because oh it's good. And this week we got some more because as part of this pending acquisition. A lot of different countries have to basically sit down with their regulations committee and decide whether or not they think there are any concerns or fears about a, a Microsoft buying. Let's be real. They're spending $70 billion. I see a lot of people are like, I just want the deal to be done. It wasn't going to be done fast because we haven't had a deal close to this in the video games industry in, in any, any size or scope. Bethesda, we were talking about that being a big deal. It's $7.5 billion. This is a magnitude of 10 times Bethesda. So big deal. Obviously, there's some hoops to jump through. And Microsoft this week has cleared one of these hoops. And the Brazil Administrative Council for Economic Defense, or CAID, has approved 
the pending mm. acquisition of Activision Blizzard King in Brazil with no restrictions. So this comes off the back of Saudi Arabia also approving this acquisition. So now there are two countries that have said, you know what, Microsoft, you're good to go. Buy this, scoop them up, no problem. The deal still needs to pass through the FTC, the European Commission, the UK Competition and Markets Authority, but this is still a potentially good sign for the future of the deal because people were questioning whether or not countries would approve it, but with strict restrictions that say, okay, well, Call of Duty can't be exclusive or, or whatever the restrictions might be. But Brazil's like, boom, I, I don't care what you do. You do, do that's all you, boo. You, you go wild. So we got some choice quotes from this that you've talked about. I want to talk about some more the internet has talked about because they are fascinating. And as we touched on regarding all of this, they are a little juicy, a little juicy, if you will. So Shout out to Reset Era user IDES for the translations here. Um, this first quote is about how Brazil feels on the overall prospect of Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard King and the overall objective of Cade. It is important to highlight the central objective of Cade's activities is the protection of competition as a means of promoting the well-being of Brazilian consumers and not the defense of the particular interests of specific competitors. Mm. Rand. Spicy. How does this quote hit you? What and you, is, you, were, you, were, you were saying I was toxic. What is Brazil mm. implying here? They, they, are, they seem to be implying something with this, well, this pretty so on-the-nose statement. The backstory here is that if you recall, when the CMA posted their sort of thoughts about this everything revolved around like well what about sony how does this is really going to affect sony's this bottom line potentially and, damaging implications right? to all and gamers Rand. it's not just about playstation like, it's all gamers yeah and everybody was like well wait a minute why does it seem like you're more concerned about what it's going to do to playstation than what it will do for consumers so brazil's like listen our focus is on protecting competition and the well-being of our Brazilian customers or consumers, not protecting any any businesses, any specific business, uh, their interests. Which basically saying like we're not here to protect Sony's bottom line or Microsoft's rather either. We're not, you know, we're just like looking out for our consumers and competition. And basically, the findings that they went through. They basically just, all of Sony's sort of arguments to them about Call of Duty being this like massive, huge thing that they can't live without, right? You remember all the adjectives they use to describe the game? Impossible Must have, essential, I think a genre onto its own. Nobody could create a game like this. Like they basically were like talking about it like it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. They were like, laying we, it on we, thick, laying it yeah, on we, real we, thick. We could, we can't exist without them, you know, and they talked about game pass and how, you know, nobody can compete with it. You would need like all this investment. And they were basically saying like, you know, game Pass is, is pretty good, but that if you allow them to have Activision and call of duty, then it's just like this, it represents this huge tipping point. Basically, like Sony was saying, like, uh, for us, this deal's no good. We want it blocked for us because, 
you know. And uh, for them, yeah, it's it's not going to be in their favor. Yeah, it's not a good way. deal for, for yeah. PlayStation. So those but, were those arguments, and I don't think any of Sony's arguments are hold any water when you actually look at them on the surface. There might be something to be said about cloud gaming, uh, considering Microsoft and the Azure servers and and things like that. But like the idea, like Sony's arguments to me always just felt hollow. It always just felt like Jim Ryan and PlayStation were saying what they needed to say to protect their interests, uh, because you know it just they knew like they they were just in a position where they were kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place like losing call of duty sure it would be significant uh, but sony could survive right and even in this brazil thing they talk about how sony's got you know they've dominated for 20 some odd years they have all these exclusive games they have all these partnerships they have all this brand loyalty and they just basically talk about how, like, in their view, Call of Duty isn't essential. And they point out how, hey, look at the Switch. They don't even have Call of Duty. They don't get any of Activision's games. And they're doing just fine. In fact, they're doing better than fine because they're selling more than anybody. They're doing so, better than maybe they've ever done, which is wild. Yeah, so it's like the argument that Call of Duty is essential kind of falls flat on its face when you look over at Nintendo and they're like, well, they don't have it. How are they doing so good? And like Steam hasn't had a Call of Duty game in quite some time. And they're like, they're, you know, they didn't mention it, in, you know, in that thing, but like Steam does well. So to me, it was just, we've gone from this whole, like the whole saga, right? We knew the deal would get scrutinized because of course it should. Yes. The deal this big. Like the government bodies have to do what they're paid to do, protect consumers and competition. But this isn't a situation where like Xbox is number one. And they would just dwarf everybody else. Like Xbox has consistently been in last place almost all the time. Last gen, they were a joke. People wanted Xbox to compete. Like they demanded that they compete. We just want Xbox to do better was all we heard. And finally, you have a a CEO who believes in gaming to the point where he talks about it being a pillar of the company when before it was like the red-haired stepchild. Of was, Microsoft. You know, it was the thing they dabbled in. You know, we have yeah, some so loud like, people who won't shut up about gaming, so I guess we'll throw some money into that. Yeah, so now it's like a core pillar, and they need to invest. So, okay, you get all these studios, you get Bethesda, and it's like Activision kind of is an acquisition of opportunity because of the stock price being so low. Yep. And it gets exactly what Microsoft wants. They want, you know, mobile. They want more PC stuff with Blizzard. And it just so happens to come with Call of Duty, but Sony only cares about Call of Duty. Sony doesn't care about the mobile stuff. Sony doesn't care about the PC stuff. They care about Call of Duty. And to me, that's like even the mo- that's like the least interesting thing out of all this. But it's the thing Sony focuses on because it's thing it's the only thing they care about. Because they've been very much the recipient of uh, some great things that that associating your brand with Call of Duty can bring you, right? Mm-hmm. They like were marketing with did. PS4, so they were able to like position themselves as the place to play. So you get all that, and they were going to lose that. But then not only lose that marketing, but also the one thing that they kind of look at Xbox side-eyed on is Game Pass, right? Because Sony feels you can't, put, you can't put your games day one in a subscription service. It's not feasible. And maybe for Sony, it's not. But for Xbox, for Microsoft, it's like, well, one of their competitive advantages is Microsoft's got a ton of money to do 
things that they perceive as you know something that they want to get done for the future they they view subscriptions and game pass and all this stuff as the future so okay we can burn money in the beginning as long as we acquire all these these users then eventually it's going to make money so like sony looks at that very afraid because they're like okay not only are we losing call of duty and losing the marketing which is absolutely huge but now there's a chance that they'll be able to put the biggest game that releases every single year into Game Pass. It's like, we can't have this because that will blow up Game Pass. I mean, Game Pass is already kind of, it's starting to hit its stride a little bit, especially with next year with the way Xbox's like lineup is. I mean, I know it's disappointing that Starfield and Redfall got delayed from this year, but then you look at next year and you look at the games Xbox is putting out from first party, plus like the deals, you know, you got like Wulong, you got Flintlock, you have a whole bunch of stuff coming early next year. It, it seems like, oh, you know, Game Pass is really going to really gonna go. But then you add like the Activision games, the Blizzard games, Call of Duty on top of it. And like I think Sony looks at a future where like Game Pass is just unbeatable and just going to continue to grow, to grow, to grow. And Xbox is going to get more power. And take away more market share from PlayStation. So PlayStation loses market share. They lose clout. They lose negotiating ability. They lose all these things to Xbox. And they want to stop that from happening. So they present these flimsy arguments to these regulators that under you know careful inspection don't hold any weight. Um, so it was very interesting to see Brazil basically you know, kind of say that like, yeah, none of this stuff like there's like, yeah, game pass might, if, if they put everything on game pass, yeah, it might present a competitive advantage for Microsoft, but does that require government in- intervention to stop it or shut it down? Right. Like yeah, they he- talk about all these things and they talk about how big PlayStation is like you're number one. You got the biggest launch. You got the biggest console user base, the biggest, all these things. It's like, you can compete. Right, it's like that's the whole point. Is Xbox is dead last or has been last? So even if they get Activision, it's they they might be on par, or a little bit lower than PlayStation. And the great thing about this is it's gonna have a lot of competition between them. So it's like Xbox is competing for your time and money. PlayStation is going to have to compete harder for your time and money. So the only people that win here are are fans. So it's really, and it's. I wonder how this is going to play out in other areas because Brazil's not the biggest market, and I know Microsoft can use this ruling to help. They can present it to the other ones, but still, yes. like the EU is going to look out for their customers or consumers. So is um. You know, so is the CMA, and we already seen like the CMA might be cozy, cozy with Sony, uh, or maybe they maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe when they analyze it, they'll be like, yeah, there's nothing really here either. Same thing with the FTC. So, I'm not saying there isn't things to be concerned about, but the whole Call of Duty thing, I always thought was complete BS on Sony's end, right? Them saying like the deal is just bad for gamers and bad for the video game industry was. Red to me is just always just complete bullshit. It's like Sony saying what they needed to say because they had to say it because of course they have to be against the deal. Like, how is it bad for gamers when like Xbox gamers? No, it's good for them. It's also good for PC gamers because Xbox put stuff on PC day one. 
they actually might bring Call of Duty to Switch. Yeah. As well as other Activision games. So called Nintendo gamers might actually get stuff. And mobile gamers, well, they already make mobile games, like Call of Duty games for mobile, but now Xbox through cloud gaming will bring these titles to iOS and Android. So it's like it seems to be good for everybody except PlayStation gamers, but you're not presenting that argument that it's bad for PlayStation gamers. You're just presenting the argument it's bad for all gamers, which is BS. And the pure arrogance, Miles, for Sony to say that it's bad for the video game industry, like their vision of the video game industry future is the only vision that matters and the only vision people care about. So, yeah, I mean, this stuff is super interesting to me uh, because I love the drama. I love the back and forth. I love these hollow statements. Not to say Xbox isn't like, there isn't things to criticize Xbox about here because they put up a website that was just weird and odd the other day. Uh, Get like caught why... up on the latest stuff regarding the Activision Blizzard thing. Just what? It, it's just, it was just really odd and weird to create a website to talk about like why this benefits everybody. It's like, yeah. it really just seems like a PR campaign for people in the media and the industry because you it's not really for regulators. A lot of their examples, like, Better marketplace dividends for... It's like, you can do that without owning Activision. You, you could do a lot of these things without owning them. So it's like, I don't know, that just was just felt odd and weird. And I don't know if they feel that some regulators or people are siding with Sony's arguments and they felt they had to do this or they just don't want to take any chances. You know, because at the end of the day, Microsoft's going to say what's best for them and what to, to get this deal to go through. And Sony's going to say what's best for them to protect their business interests to get this block because they would much rather have Call of Duty owned and operated by a third party that they can deal with directly and not for Microsoft that could potentially have some sticky negotiations about cross-play tax and things like that. Like The thing is, like Jim Ryan's hung up on the three-year deal that Phil offered him, but he, Jim knows that Phil's not going to offer him a in perpetuity contract. He knows that the regulators aren't going to give him uh, a consent degree to say Call of Duty's forever on PlayStation. He knows that because he would never give him any of those things. So what is what is it, what are they really fighting about here? Like, what's it really about? I don't. Know, it's super interesting. I know some people are over it, and I was kind of over it before all this started. And and maybe the longer it goes goes on, I'll get bored of it. Because uh, it does seem like we got another five or six months of it. Yeah. But I thought all this stuff would be handled behind the scenes. Like, they'd be fighting behind the scenes. And they're pretty much, like, essentially fighting in public. And it's... I'm here for it, Miles. Yeah, for that's, now, that's what's been the most interesting, is that we get all of this information. We get all of this insight. We get the the authentic business stances that we would never ever get we would never get these kind of quotes from people like jim ryan or or brad smith of microsoft about how they feel admitting that you are not number one admitting that your competitor is absolutely dominating you those kind of quotes would never exist and so as brazil beautifully addressed this the point of these agencies is to make sure that there isn't a, a threat to the competition for their market and it's not about the competition of one as as playstation paints the picture of oh it has a negative impact yeah absolutely this will negatively impact your bottom line i'm sorry if call of duty goes to game pass you are losing money and that's what this is about is playstation is worried about losing that money and as much as playstation bangs the drum about 
first party. Our first party exclusives are the best. They make, I would argue, most of their money on third party titles like Call of Duty, like Final Fantasy. And when you start losing those, you don't have that money to fill in the gaps to invest in your first party. And uh-oh, guess what? If you can't invest in your first party, you don't get to bang the drum that you have the best first party anymore. And when you don't have the best first party anymore, you don't have the, the market dominance anymore. And when you don't have the market dominance anymore, all of your third party competitors go to Microsoft. And if that happens, if this cascading series of events happens to PlayStation, that will damage the business. And again, these, these boards and these authorities, they're not designed to protect PlayStation specifically. No, no agency should be designed to pr protect one business specifically. They are designed to protect competition. And clearly, Microsoft is looking to compete. They're looking to elevate their game. They're looking to make Xbox Game Pass this, this force to be reckoned with. And Microsoft right now is in a, a great position because they are in third. They are in third in a lot of ways, and they are going to be able to leverage that and say, hey, guys, like we understand there are concerns. We understand this is a big deal. As you touched on, we're going to bring Call of Duty to Switch. You know, we're going to keep Call of Duty other places. We're not trying to take games from people. We're trying to bring games to more people, Rand, through cloud and, and PC and all of these avenues. You don't have to worry. You can play anywhere except for PlayStation mm -hmm. consoles, except for Nintendo consoles. Unless they put Xbox Game Pass on there, then you can play them anywhere you want. Then you don't have to buy any machine. You can play Xbox games wherever you want as long as you give us money for our subscription service. And like you said, they are both just saying what they need to say. Microsoft has a lot riding on this deal. Microsoft will lose a lot of money if this deal doesn't happen. It'll just be money that they blew. And so they, it's in their best interest for this deal to go through, obviously because it's going to benefit their business on the other side. Obviously, it's going to increase the value of Xbox Game Pass, the value of their platform. You're going to suck in all that Call of Duty revenue every single year. But, but really what this is about, like you said, is they want to keep people subscribed to Game Pass. And if you can just keep consistent games coming out, games for every person, regardless of where you want to play, that is so valuable. And PlayStation sees that and they're concerned about that because right now they don't have something that they can just say, boom, right now we're going to make it work. Because people talk about, well, why doesn't PlayStation do day and date? Their business model hasn't been set up to do that. I guarantee behind the scenes, they are having the conversations about how do we shift that? Why do you think they're doing so many games as a service titles? Why do, you, why do you think they're bringing stuff to PC? They need money. They need the money to come in so that they can invest in first party, that the, they can invest in their platform, and ultimately they can invest to have a competing subscription service because I don't think Game Pass is going to go away. I don't think Xbox Game Pass is going to slow down in terms of momentum. And like you said, we still really haven't had a banner year for Xbox first party since Game Pass launched. And now I mean, that... I some mean, people would say... 2021 was a pretty good year. I mean, it was a good, it was a and good Flight year. Sim and Forza and Halo. It was and a good year like for one quarter, though. Age of Empires 4. Yeah, oh, yeah, for one. Oh, for, for sure. One for quarter. Sure. One quarter. So there are three out of four quarters where it wasn't that good for. Yeah. Again, I'm saying, speaking to casual audiences, I always find something to play in Game Pass. There's plenty of stuff to play, but they're trying to bring everyone in, regardless of what they want. And that that is their mission here. That is their objective. And PlayStation understands that if this goes through, this will have negative implications for their business, not for all gamers, as, as Jim Ryan has touched on. And 
I don't think it's fair to put this deal under a microscope. I don't think it's unfair to... Did I say fair or unfair? I don't think it's unfair to unfair to really scrutinize this deal because it is a big deal to have these conversations about what does this mean? As we talked about with cloud gaming, we're going to be in a world with Stadia gone and Luna being questionable where Xbox dominates that. They're, who's going to be able to come into this arena if Google can't? And again, we've talked about how Google probably didn't have the best business practice. Google made a lot of errors on their side. They probably could have actually competed if they wanted to. But the second Xbox started throwing down $70 billion for Activision, $7.5 billion for Bethesda, Google was like, oof, I'm out. And again, mm. whether that's going to destroy competition in the space, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But you could argue that a PlayStation and a Nintendo cannot spend $70 billion on an Activision. And when you have one person in the space who can and will time and time again down the road, maybe there are concerns. But I think when we look at just the Activision Blizzard King deal right now, as it stands with where Microsoft stands, where the industry stands, I don't think there are any real legal objections to this going through is, is where I'm at. And I think a lot of these markets will, once they see the full picture, once they see what's going on behind the scenes, I think they all will agree. Even, you know, the CMA, I think where the CMA stance comes from is you have people like Jim Ryan, like addressing their concerns. And he is going to be framing those concerns in a way that are not specific to PlayStation. They're specific to the gamers, as he calls it. And again, once Microsoft gets to sit down and say, all right, here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. Here's the reality of it. If they can make a compelling case, chances are we're fine. Chances are it's going to be a-okay. Deal's going to close and we can move past move this saga we can move on and then talk about who they're going to acquire next who got the, i because I, I know that's your favorite topic who's xbox going to acquire next and somebody asked us like do you think xbox fans talk about that too much and i said not necessarily because it's not like the teams doing the acquiring and the people making the games are the same so it's like they're, they don't factor into each other and you also have an Xbox and PlayStation that are routinely talking about acquisitions and talking about how they're not done and not finished and talking about their potential strategy. So it's all, so it's like they're talking about it. So of course fans are going to speculate about who it is. Like recently we had Phil Spencer talking about they're not, they can't press pause on acquisitions. Oh, no, we got to go baby you more know? Capcom. You know, son, and they talk go. about Japan and, and the deals they're doing. So it's like when the companies are talking about it so openly, of course, fans are go then going to speculate. So it kind of is what it is, right? Exactly. It is what it is. And again, I'm, I'm glad we could talk about this a little bit. I know some people are tired of hearing about it. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I felt the same way until we started getting these quotes. Because quotes, yeah. quotes are where it gets interesting. Because that's someone oh, yeah. said that. An official figure said that. We can speculate all day. But when somebody high up at a company says something like PlayStation is are, are the market leader? Ooh, that's juicy. I'm sorry. You don't say that. You're not in, you're not coming out publicly and saying, yeah, we're in third place. Like you don't say that unless you have to. And so I, I love it. Love it. It's juicy. All right, Rand, I got to catch a fairy here in a little bit. So we're going to start wrapping up this show one more time for the amazing people who tuned into Xbox chatter chatter days today. Let them know where they can find you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on miles. It was, it was a great show. Hopefully Always love liked having it. you, brother. Yeah, hopefully everybody liked it. If you did, make sure you leave a like here for Miles. 
or write a review on uh, iTunes or Spotify. But you can check me out on uh, youtube.com slash randallthor19, where I do a podcast every Friday usually with Jess Gordon of Windows Central, Miles' co-worker. And I also drop videos throughout the week. I've been trying to at least get one out. This past week I was able to get two. So it really just depends on what's going on. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. It was, it was great to talk about Mario's lack of ass. <laughs> I think that was the highlight. I think we can all agree that was the big standout moment. And that's why people And I said in. something positive about something Nintendo. I know, so. it was a banner episode. Banner episode. Again, always appreciate having you on, man. If you haven't checked out Rand, which I'm sure everyone in the Xbox space for the most part has, check out what Rand's working on. Check out his beautiful YouTube thumbnails. Check out how he's innovating <laughs> the space by adding more fills than any other YouTuber has so far. <laughs> and again, no, seriously, appreciate you. Always authentically have fun. I know we have our fake internet beef, but you are one of my favorite people to talk to online. So always appreciate you, my dude. And that's going to oh, do yeah. it for this week's episode. Take care. Have a beautiful Saturday, and we will see you next week where I'll be hanging out with Mr. Grub Snacks himself. Ooh, Jeff the Grub. Grub. Jeff Grub. All right. Take care, everybody.